you're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Ha! Got him! That should keep the first order off our backs. Nice work, Paul. Tim, are we set to make the jump? Yep. The end of the prime in accordance with the rendezvous are set. All right. Strap in and let's get this intel delivered to the resistance. Punch it! You're listening to Star Wars. The saga continues. Your hosts, Kyle Avery, Tim Jirasi, and Paul Herman, are scouring the holonet for news and bringing you all of the latest updates on the future of the Star Wars universe. And the future is bright indeed. So we invite you to join us on this exciting journey as the saga continues. Hey there, Star Wars fans, and welcome back to another episode of Star Wars The Saga Continues, your podcast for all the latest news, rumors, and updates on Mando, Ahsoka, and all the other awesome projects coming up in the Star Wars universe. As always, I'm your host, Kyle, and we've got the whole crew back together this week, so I've got my co-hosts, Tim and Paul, with me. How's it going, guys? What's up, Kyle? What's up, Paul? I'm really anxious to discuss with you on this episode about... The recent two episodes we've well i should mainly we're going to focus on mando on this one but this is kind of a week where we usually kind of text each other our reactions and our thoughts after a new episode of mando and bad batch and we kind of didn't do that this time so. no we did not <laughs> i am really anxious to discuss these two with you <laughs> wow 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 well yeah by the way i'm back guys i i hey guys Oh, hey, boys, I'm back. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it sucks not be- making it last week. I know Kyle tried to talk uh, smack about uh, about me, guys, but before the episode, he's like, oh, you, you had to tweet about hockey instead of uh, watching Mando. I was like, for the record, I'm pretty sure it was last week. For the record, I, the reason why I had I had to wait till Friday, not because I wanted to wait for pizza night, which, goddamn, we did have pizza tonight. It was glorious. Um, but, but... Uh, Wednesday, I had a podcast with my buddy and um, Sketchcraft, uh, who's on the Making Star Wars show with, with Jason, and uh, he has his own channel, and he's a, he's a brilliant illustrator. I love the good to death, and we broke down this, this uh, Clerks comic together, and we had a, I had a blast doing it, And I, so, but that cut into our uh, Mando time, and I was like, ah, you know, and so um, I asked my wife, I was like, uh, you know, when are we going to get to watch Mando? She's like, probably not until Friday. I was like, ah. So um, I couldn't watch it, which is a bummer because episode two, we'll talk about in a second, was whoo. Um, but yeah, no, that's that's the reason why I couldn't watch. I wasn't on last week's episode. I probably I probably would have made time for that one uh, for our new schedule every other week. But uh, either way, I'm back. I'm excited. Either way, these episodes, yes, or specifically episode you know three of the Mandalorian, the the convert, not the most enthralling episode but obviously worthwhile of talking about a lot so i'm ready to get into it i'm ready to talk about stuff do we have any news to talk about we have anything not really we talked about a lot of news last week um i'm not here yeah yeah i mean there was there was celebration (laughs) announcements there was you know some new movie rumors and stuff there's not really much this week i mean the only thing that i saw just today like damon lindelof kind of like finally confirmed that he's working on a star wars movie but we kind cool. of already we already knew that and we talked about that last time so um 
yeah, not really any news. I mean, it's only been a week since the last time we recorded. So, um, yeah, let's just dive in and, and talk about these episodes. And really, we're just going to focus on Mando. I know we talked a lot of Bad Batch last week, um, especially because that was kind here. of a, a pivotal episode. And because Tim loves Crosshair so much and kind of had to get that all off his chest. Um, I, I thought it, it was a much too long. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was a fun episode of Bad Batch this week. Um, but we'll kind of talk more about uh, the last few episodes altogether, um, kind of when the season wraps up. Um but uh mando yeah this is going to be a fun one because i know paul you're kind of well first of all like we said we haven't really given each other like detailed thoughts on this so we're kind of going in blind a little bit um but you know normally normally especially with mando we tend to all be on the same page of enjoying stuff or if anything if anything it's usually me really enjoying something and paul you know it's like me and paul (laughs) having different opinions and tim kind of being in the middle uh but it seems Tim's like classic tonight, <laughs> it seems like tonight we might have paul being the the uh low-key you know middleman between me and tim having wildly Whoa. varying uh opinions on this episode so wow that's um, his first uh, when's the last time that's happened ever it's, i don't you, know it's, it's not the first time but it's definitely been a while yeah it really oh, has <laughs> So which, long, which, we can't even remember. Yeah, the, well, the wait, last. Well, I mean, honestly, the the last major thing I can remember us really disagreeing on was the last Jedi. And when we did our six hour review of that, I changed Tim's mind on some things over the course of that. So you know, I gotta, I gotta get out my. You had to bring last Jedi up, didn't you? Just had to bring it up. It, just, it is what it is. I changed that's Tim's fair. mind that's on fair. some things. I haven't changed your mind, and that's okay. That's okay. No, I just think it's hilarious too. For people that don't know, Kyle and I literally share the same birthday. So like, it's, we're like, you know, it's, I think it's super funny. Like we're, we're not the same age, obviously I'm an old man. He's a young man. Uh, but we have the same birthday, you know, and I, I don't really know if I believe in signs, like, you know, the Capricorn sign, but I, I just always like, you know, talk about that, how I am very much a Capricorn and you are too, I think, but it's, we're so different. It's hilarious, you know? So, but again, it's a spice of life because if people all, if we were all the same in an echo chamber, we'd be boring. Hell, let's be real. Um, so yeah. uh, it would be, I, it'd be no reason for me to be on the show if I echoed everything you guys said, in my opinion. So, and I would, and, and you guys know me well enough that I wouldn't be just a contrarian. Well, sometimes uh, just to be a contrarian, but uh, like, like for instance, Kyle, have you started reading that, uh, that book yet? The um, Jedi fallen order one. Yeah. I've read the first chapter. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> i haven't read any of it yet or listened to it oh yet, well I have it. now here's the thing i'm i'm also over halfway through my uh playthrough of jedi fallen order on uh, you know my like sixth playthrough yeah. or whatever at this point but i'm playing it on the ps playthrough I'm, I'm playing on i'm playing it on the ps5 for the first time and you know just getting Man, one more playthrough before the new one comes oh it looks gorgeous although i will uh, say i know we're going off on a tangent here and this has nothing fine. to do with mando but okay. I just, so the first, I, I got a PS5 for Christmas. The first game I played was uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake. Yeah. Wise it choice. was fun. I enjoyed it. Had some issues with it. The story got weird at the end, but overall, fun experience. <laughs> Final Fantasy? Then I, played, then I played God of War. The 2018 one, not Ragnarok. Because I, I got the, uh, the one we got for Christmas was the Ragnarok bundle. But I was like, well, if I'm going to play that, I got to play the first one first. That game was incredible. And probably the best looking game I've ever played, even though it's mm. the first one from 2018. So like, I don't know. I mean, Jedi Fallen Order also looks amazing on there, but I'm like, 
it so far you know that bar that got a war set is pretty dang high and that's still like just the ps4 version that doesn't even have like a ps5 upgrade really? wow. edition or anything like that so well, yeah i can't I, I, I can't wait to get into god of war ragnarok and see how much better that looks but i also can't know, wait to see what they do with the jedi survivor which you know obviously that's going to be uh built yeah. up you know built from the ground up for these current gen consoles you know and not just like a, a ps4 or xbox one yeah. game with a uh, little extra you know enhancements to it well and and the thing is for me is like i like next week we have my wife and i took the week off so uh and i'm well and it's basically me working around in the house cleaning it up and that's a whole long story but but uh it does give me maybe a little more free time to maybe get back into playing that game again and try to like at least not i'm not i'm not gonna beat it by any means but I'll probably try Wait, to have you it. never finished it? No, no, no I beat it. I'm, I just oh, okay. I, I want to okay. play it again. I want to play it again. I want to yeah, play it again. Yeah. But because uh, I, I got the I got the upgrade and I want to check it out. So I'm yeah. you know it's nice. And honestly, like if you've beaten it before and you kind of know how it goes, like it's a pretty quick game, especially after True. playing a 40 hour RPG and then you know a game like God of War where you could breeze through that in like 20 hours if you wanted to but of course you know I did all the side quests and a bunch of exploring and stuff and I still might go back and do some more you know optional stuff in the game but I think that I spent, game is so good I, I spent somewhere between like 30 and 35 hours on that I think and Jedi Fallen Order you can beat in like 15 to 20 so it's it's kind of refreshing like how kind of quick and breezy it is in relation to the stuff i've been playing recently um yeah. even though i feel like you know that game obviously still has a, a good amount of meat on its bones but you know i feel yeah. like that's a, a, a decent length for just a, a you know story-based yeah. like, action game i'm um, just glad i'm just you know really and also and I'm, i have final thoughts on this thanks for the side tangent love the stuff uh i just want to say i just we've all, we've at nauseam i've said this about jedi, jedi fallen order but i'm so happy that we got a good star wars game that we can like look back at because for years we you know we had battlefront you know, the whole controversies and again we love battlefront but we all wanted that real like legit star wars game we finally got it and we yeah. and people remember, and, and one one with a good story and one that yeah. you know, had a good reception right off the bat and didn't have a lot of right. you know it wasn't swamped in all and, this controversy and stuff yeah and what's crazy to think about it too is like think about how like people were not excited about that game really i mean people were excited but they weren't like they were trepidatious they were, it wasn't like that thing was a slam dunk out of the gate in my opinion you know people were like oh, i right. don't know and like and after it came out people were like oh, this game's actually pretty good i'm like mm -hmm. yeah it's amazing so anyway yeah. i just wanted no actually yeah because i remember they showed off their demo at e3 too and people were like yeah eh, this doesn't look that good or they're not doing a very like, good job crazy. of selling it or people still are not sure what this game is going to be so um yeah it was anyway. definitely a, it definitely was a pleasant surprise when it first came out um but anyway to, to all that to answer your question of you know am i going to finish the book like i'm i'm kind of like i've started the book but i think i'm going to focus more on finishing this playthrough which i should finish in like a week or so because like i said i'm you know like two-thirds of the way through it right now and it's not going to take me that much longer to finish it and then once i finish the game again then go from that right into the book and so you know kind of dedicate my free time to that before i jump into another new game or something like that so she also mentioned too that i believe it was just today at least i saw it today that uh, we're getting a new trailer for jedi survivor on monday yes Should be the final one Something yes and really story focused i think yeah that's what i saw too is that it's a story trailer um which should be good because I mean we really don't know anything about the story at this point aside from the fact that it's like five years later and um Cal and the Mantis crew are all kind of scattered to start the game and you know you reunite with them as you go 
Um, and I honestly, I'm kind of surprised, especially because today would have today is the actually as we're recording um, here. It's uh, Friday, March 17th. Um, happy St. Patrick's Day, everybody. Uh, today was the original release date for Fallen Order or for Jedi Survivor before it got delayed. Um, and so at this point, like I wasn't expecting a whole lot more marketing stuff, especially because like last month, IGN did a bunch of features on it and showed off a bunch of new gameplay and stuff like that. Um, so I'm like, I'm good. Like we've got trailers, we've got gameplay footage, we've got the book coming out. Like I'm all set. I wasn't expecting to get, you know, uh, another major trailer anytime. Uh, before the game came out but it's like you know when they said story feature or a story trailer i was kind of like oh yeah we really don't know anything about the story of this game do we so um yeah it'll be interesting to see um you know how much they're willing to uh, kind of pull back the curtain on that and um you know give us stuff to look forward to and how many characters we're going to see in it and stuff because still like you know character there's characters like Marin and Grease from the first game that you would think have to appear in the second game again but like we still haven't seen yet um so i'm assuming we'll probably see some more some you know more characters in the trailer maybe we'll finally see those guys um but uh yeah i don't know if it's obviously if it's a big exciting substantial trailer then uh we'll probably talk about that on our next episode next week or whenever we record next but um yeah definitely looking forward to that and that game's just i think like six weeks away so um coming right hot on the heels of mando and bad batch and all this other great star wars stuff that we've got all right but yeah anyway video game tangents aside uh, like I said, let's just get into uh, this week's episode of Mando. It's funny, Tim, because I know you put out your, your question on social media asking people like what they thought of the episode and saying something that, uh, you know, it might be the most polarizing episode of Mando to date, which I don't know if I'd go that far. Because even though you and I specifically have some things that we disagree on, and I've definitely seen some mixed reactions to this online, um, I, were you there for the great frog lady egg controversy of 2020? Uh, that's right. I, I mean, I, I don't know, man. That was know. a pretty big firestorm. Like, uh, I guess I don't know. This least, one's something more, at least for because no. that. Yeah, I don't know. This one was especially just how different it was. I mean, that was definitely a topic of discussion when that episode yeah, came out. But just how different this episode was, and just so many various reactions to the type of episode <laughs> it was specifically, and compared to just one small aspect or a specific aspect of yeah. uh, the passenger small and specific in my opinion but, well yes i mean if, again for me it seemed like something small and specific but there were people making a yes. huge deal out of that and it like dominated the conversation for a week whereas i feel like this and then it rightfully people, died quickly well but it didn't Dude, feel no cool. one talks about it now no 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 one cared a week after right the week after but i'm saying with this episode it already seems like people have kind of mellowed out a little bit like it it doesn't it doesn't feel like a controversy oh, to me it just feels like an episode that people have differing opinions on but it's not i don't really see any like heated debates about it well, um, let me, it, before yeah, before we get into this can i just i want to just give a brief overview on episode two and then we'll kind of lead into episode three here just real quick i just wanted to say for episode two i was which i wasn't here for I thought that was, I mean, I haven't listened to the episode guys the last week, but it's an absolute banger. That episode two is just, it's, it's so good. It's so, so, so good. And, you know, 
one of the things I talked about, and I'm not sure if you, Tim, you mentioned it on the podcast or not, but like the Morlocks from uh, oh, yes, the Time Machine. <laughs> oh my God. I'm glad I wasn't alone on that. Shocker, Paul, but Kyle's never seen the Time Machine. So. Oh, that does not shock <laughs> me at all. He's like, Time Machine? You mean like Back to the Future? I've seen that movie once. The first no, one. Time, time Machines are from Doctor Who, duh. <laughs> oh, silly. I really, I really, I really hate you. No, uh, but, but no, but, but, but for real. I know. I know. <laughs> no, but but listen. See, there you go. I quoted Solo. How you like that? Fair. That's fair enough. Fair enough. Um, no, listen. The Time Machine is legit, Kyle. It's a legit great old movie. It's yeah, a great old movie. But and th- there were so many. There were so many things besides the obvious. But I thought like really deepening so many different things. I think it might be. Listen, we'll go down as as, as a top five in the series, maybe. But I, I will say this. I think from a story pacing standpoint, that episode, the um the the apostate, is that what it is? Which one is it called? Is that about apostate? No, episode, two, episode two is Minds of Mandalore. Minds of, I'm sorry. Uh Minds of Mandalore, uh, in my opinion, could be maybe the best written episode. Like overall, like written. Maybe not hmm. because and the reason why is because it has, you know, listen. When you do these, this is going going back to episode three. If you compare the two, their styles are different, right? The tones are different, and that and it's very obvious. No, there's no duh, but but if you look at episode one to two to three, they are written and structured very radically differently. I think that episode two is such a it, has, it does so much in a, in that short amount of time of like forty minutes. It's really impressive what they're able to do. They do a lot. It never feels like you're crammed in so much, which they do. And I think episode one does a, a pretty decent job of that as well. Episode two does a really great job, I think, also of doing that. And they do a lot. And they they deepen a lot. And it's just the flow of everything and, and the danger. I mean, it's it's like, you know, again, um, I talked about before, the fantasy element. It's very much that takes a lot of that fantasy element from you know the classic stories of like you know going you know the, the the warrior going down to get the the uh, the, the myth, myth the uh, mythical sword couldn't think talk there for a second no change there um, you know but the mythical sword and like the armor and like having to fight mm-hmm. a dragon and fight all these you know those elements are all there which we get in Star Wars a little bit but like it's heavily on the sleeve in this episode. But it's so, but it's also enriching like the world of Mandalore and what's that, you know, you know, also like I didn't know creatures were in Mandalore and then Bo-Katan like drops this like, oh yeah, these things live on the outside. I'm like, God damn, we're, uh, this is amazing. I'm like, this is great. Like, this is why I think Star Wars is so rich and so amazing is because they're, they're able to do these things, these things like in like Book of Boba Fett episode one, that, that, that Tuscan or that, that, that lizard creature comes out of nowhere, right? Mm-hmm. like these are the things you can do if you do it right enrich the universe we can learn about it and also enrich the story while educating us as star wars fans as they deepen the mythology in the universe right and that's what the minds of mandalore did all at once while also having a really impactful emotional story uh at the same time so i mean i could go off go on and on the ending was incredible um I mean, when I got done with it, I just, I wanted this, I kind of held back a little bit and I'll obviously talk a lot more deeper on this, on the uh, Star Wars Newsnet live show that we'll be doing on Monday here on the, on the 
with the 24th. Uh, whatever Monday is, whatever today is, I don't know what it is. Either way, go on, go on the Star Wars News Net YouTube. You'll you'll see. Well, I'll probably talk to see where I talk about the Mines of Mandalore, and you'll I'll go a lot deeper on it. But I'll just kind of go go into Episode Three. I just want to say Episode Two. I wanted to tweet out right away that like this was like the goat. Like it's so good. Like it, to me, this only solidifies the Mandalorian as I think being maybe some of the best Star Wars of all time. Like it's it's, it's so good. And and going from that into Episode Three. I think, you know, we'll talk a lot about why this is not maybe the best episode, in my opinion, but I will say it's a necessary episode. And I think that's the thing that's different about, I think, the mediums of film opposed to TV and animation. The medium is just a lot different. I think with a TV show like The Mandalorian, you can't just go Minds of Mandalore nonstop or you know, the, the Jedi or uh, the rescue or whatever, like all those things, you can't have all of them at once. Right. You've got to have some, you've got to have development. And I think that, so again, I don't want this. I don't want the, the convert to be every episode either. Right. I mean, that's by a long shot, but you, we need episodes like this. So I'm, I'm excited to break down what maybe didn't work and worked about it. So, but yeah, minds of Mandalore may be an old timer. It might be. We'll see. But right now, it's definitely in the top five, in my opinion. Yeah, it was a great one. Um, it's funny because also it's kind of hard for me to say so far this season, like where I would rank these episodes. For for the first two seasons, I kept a list on my phone where I, I just kept a running ranking of every episode of The Mandalorian, both you know, both season one and season two. Um, and I haven't added any episodes from season three yet. And it's interesting because I feel like I feel like this season has been a little bit more of a slow burn so far um, in the sense that like, obviously minds of Mandalore was an incredible episode. I also thought this episode, the convert was great. Um, But like they don't, I I don't feel like any of them so far really stand on their own as much as some episodes, especially from season two episodes, like uh, you know, the Marshall and the heiress and the believer and stuff like that, where, you know, they're almost like they're all strung together to serve a, a coherent, you know, plot thread, but it's almost like each episode is its own little mini movie. Um, and even ones like, you know, you have like the Jedi, which is very clearly like that, that was Dave Filoni's like samurai movie episode. And you had the one with the ice spiders where it was like more of like a creature horror movie type episode. Um and again, like, it, it's not that they were all disjointed or disconnected. Like, you know, it followed a, a continuous story, but I feel like they intentionally made those episodes. And I mean, Dave and George talked about this a lot with Clone Wars, too, um, where, you know, you can sit down for a week and watch an episode and kind of get, you know, the the same feeling as watching a Star Wars movie just on a smaller scale and just kind of enjoy that story for what it is. Whereas this season, I feel like, so far the episodes are a lot more connected they build on each other and they're kind of taking more of their time building up to something um i mean heck you know you had season or the the first episode that kind of ended on a cliffhanger um well heck the second episode that ended on more of a cliffhanger yeah i was gonna um, say <laughs> and then this one that i guess ends on kind of a good stopping point but still with a feeling like there's more to this 
Um, and it's not like every episode has its own kind of beginning, middle and end with just little things that kind of connect them each. It, it definitely feels like it's going to be hard for me to rank all these episodes until we're done with the season and kind of see where the whole thing goes. Um, and that's not necessarily a, a praise or a criticism. It's just noticing that I, I don't know if you guys feel this way or if you notice this, but it just kind of feels different. I'm still enjoying the heck out of it. I'm still looking forward to every episode and I can't wait to see um sort of how they build on these stories and and where it all goes but um it's just a little bit different feeling and a little bit different structure so far for season three and i kind of like how it is feeling different and it is that way just Mm. how each season has its own unique feel to it but yet still telling the story of dinjarin and grogu and just how their journey is going to be different in spots and i just like because i totally get what you're saying how this season this how the story is being told because i personally thought and we talked about in the last episode that things are happening a lot quicker than we thought they were when we were thinking about how the story was going to progress this season how mandalore is going to be featured as a big part of it and dim's story as far as trying to get redeemed that all happened in the first two episodes so now it's just like where does it go from here and that's a great feeling too but it does have its own unique feel that i'm just really enjoying how it is separating itself already from its first two seasons but yet still have having that same great quality we expect from the show overall but you know i i i'm gonna push back a little bit on it being more connected and just or have it being like well that's like you know it's it's too connected i'm like eh i mean like no no no, no. i didn't say it was too connected i just said it feels that's why i said i'm not criticizing it for that i'm just pointing out that it feels different from previous seasons i i I guess the only reason why is because listen how would I explain this? I, I I know what you're saying. Like, it's not like a bad thing, but here's the thing. I'm going to push back because it's, it's inevitable because you've built up two seasons of story. You know what I mean? Like it's it, so you can't, it's hard to put, compare that say it's hard for me in my opinion to say like, Oh, this is different. And it's like, but yeah, I feel like it can't, it can't be the same kind of feel necessarily, because you've built up two previous seasons. Clone Wars is different because it never was building up to something. It's all because all the buildup was in a short amount of time because they, they stuck to that whole three uh, story, uh, three, four episode arcs. You know what I mean? For the most part, like they didn't really build up much and they did start building up more later on, just like the Mandalorian. So I don't, I don't know if I, I would say like, I, I would say like, it's like, you could compare them with that and say, oh, and say, oh, it's a, it's quite a bit different. I feel it's it's a natural thing. Does that make sense? I'm not trying to say you're, you're oh, wrong. Oh yeah, yeah, no, and, and I certainly can. I think it is. I think you're right to an extent that like it, the story has kind of progressed to a point where that's necessary. And maybe right, part right, of right. that is also Rick Famuyiwa's influence taking over as an executive yeah. producer. Maybe that's something he wanted to do, but also maybe that's just Dave and John wanting to try something new. Um, if anything, I think for me, I think there is a part of me that kind of misses that, the style of like season two, especially because, you know, after the premiere, I'm like, that was a good episode, but it didn't blow me away. Like, you know, the premiere of season two, watching basically an entire hour long Western movie about Mando and a guy wearing Boba Fett's armor, teaming up with Tusken Raiders to fight a crate dragon. And like, I mean, that that was, yeah, that had had ramifications for the rest of the season, but also it was a great self-contained story in its own right. And I think 
the and again i'm i'm certainly not complaining i think there's part of me that misses that style and then there's part of me that's also really enjoying the style that they're doing in season three and so i'm just kind of pointing out the differences between the two but i'm not saying that it's better or worse if anything i'm saying kind of time will tell and we'll see how you know what the progression is over the course of the whole season and what it all builds to um to say if it you know if that change was for the better or not um, well it, well and, and because, uh, because well, I just wanted to, just just as an example, like in episode sure. one, they introduce Gory and Shard and the pirates, right? And that's kind of like right. a quick scene in the middle of the episode, in the middle of all this other stuff with like the Mandalorian clans and didn't yeah. redeemed, and then Bogus. There's not really and a then, narrative going like, on. Like it's well, it's a clear setup that like this is going to be important later in the season. Whereas I feel like if this was season one or season two, you would have had a, a a whole episode dedicated to din and the armor you had a whole episode dedicated to din going to mandalore mm-hmm. you had a whole episode dedicated to din and bokatan you had a whole episode dedicated to din and grief fighting the pirates and this season they're kind of mixing and matching a little bit and kind of interweaving those stories instead of separating those chunks out um, well and it and i think i think you're i think you're on to something there too i think we're both kind of hitting on some good points the what what i would say is I don't know if those are all great stories either. Cause if you look at like the, the um, one with they, they introduced Fennec Shannon, not my favorite. It's fine. Oh yeah. It's, no, you, you see what you see what I'm saying though. I, I feel oh, yeah, like no, they, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that every one-off episode was great. And again, I'm not trying to argue for, for one or the other. I'm simply pointing out the difference and saying, you know, I just think it's interesting that they so far through three, three episodes, it feels like a bit of a different change of direction for season three. But um, I also wonder too if I, because I also think season three is setting up something for greater than even the the, the ser- than the series itself. I think oh, that abs- to me, absolutely, especially and, 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 in, especially in this, this episode. In this, yeah. So I think that's what we're getting more of, and I think you're right. That's why I was saying I think you're right. You're definitely right to an extent. There's it's a lot more. We gotta start doing some more obvious like exposit, not ex- setup. I think it should I would say more setup, not beyond the Mandalorian. But at the same time, like I would say it's been for the I mean, this episode with withstanding, I would say it's been pretty good. Like it, it's still been pretty self-contained within itself. This episode is a little different, which is maybe is a good jumping in point to say, you know, I you know, and that, but here's the thing I would also say it's almost a positive. I don't know where this we don't know what this means at all, really. It's all speculative, right? I think that's the one thing I would say is probably one of the better things about the episode is that despite what happens, it still like leads you like, where exactly is this going? And people, and I didn't even think about some of the things that people were speculating on, you know? So I think there's, there was, I think this was a good idea, but we'll talk about the execution. I think that's the biggest thing. And, and here's what I think we should do. You know, right. Let's, let's actually jump in and talk about the episode because we've been recording for like half an hour now, just talking about the show without actually getting into this. Well, no, no, no. That's what I'm saying. We've been talking about the show. We just haven't talked about this specific episode yet. Um, but I think instead of, especially because I, it seems like we're going to have a lot of different opinions on it and there's a lot of different aspects of it to talk about and a lot to speculate about like, what does this mean for the show and the universe going forward? Instead of doing like a, a chronological, you know, scene by scene breakdown, like we've done for the last Thank couple you. episodes, I'm going to break it into two chunks because really there were two storylines in yeah. this episode, okay. one with Mando and Bogotan that kind of bookended the episode and then the other with Dr. Pershing. Um, 
So let's just, I'm going to, we'll, we'll briefly summarize each of those and then just kind of talk about them without going through, you know, every scene by scene beat. Trust um, me, ain't going to be a problem. <laughs> yeah. But um, so first of all, the, the Din and Bogotan story picking up right where we left off at the end of the last episode, uh, you know, Din wakes up on the floor in Mandalore. And it's funny because Tim and I debated this last episode of like, did he fall in the water mm -hmm. or did he get dragged down by the mythosaur? And I was like, I'm pretty, that seemed pretty clear that he got dragged down by something like he fell fast. Um, and then sure enough, this episode starts, he's like, Oh shoot, that water was deeper than I thought. Thanks for pulling me back out. And she's like, yeah, do you see anything down there? He's like, Nope. And she's, you know, it's like, why are you asking? Oh, no reason. Um, so yeah, so like it, it just so happened that because of the seismic activity from the Empire bombing the planet, you know, this uh, this pool or whatever that you used to be able to just wade into now opens up way down into this trench and he just plummeted down and Bogotan went down to rescue him, found a mythosaur down there and she's the only one that knows it exists and is now kind of hanging on to this secret. And like I said, I think it's fascinating because like she's the one that doesn't believe in like those ancient legends and stuff. And so now she kind of has to grapple with like, what does this mean for, for my beliefs? And, um, you know, what this could mean for Mandalore going forward. So I think it's just really interesting to have her be the one keeping that secret. Um, and then, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess we, we can talk about that part first. There's kind of like three main little chunks of this storyline that we could talk about, but, um, I don't know. What do you guys think about, um, just that opening part and just the fact that Bo-Katan is kind of, you know, keeping that to herself for now. Yeah, first off, I'm glad the episode just picked up right where the last one left off. And <laughs> this, if it was going to be an episode that was going to take a detour, part of me after watching was thinking, huh, I'm kind of surprised they did that. I'm glad they did to where they just didn't focus on Dr. Pershing's story for the whole episode. And then we'd come back a week later to pick up with Bo and Din in the Minds of Mandalore. But so I'm glad it at least started off with this so it didn't leave us, leave us hanging there. But um, yeah, it's just. I'm just more curious as far as the whole thing, what Bo-Katan is playing and what's her angle as far as keeping this a secret, as far as kind of, is she going to use that as her way to kind of take back the rule as Mandalore if she's the one who's able to tame the myth of sword? Like, does that outdo wielding the Darksaber? I don't know. I'm just finding it curious that, or she, like, why would she tell Din at first? I could kind of understand maybe not, if you didn't tell Din, of course, she's probably not going to tell the rest of the Mandalorians uh, once she becomes part of part of their group. But it's like, oh, I just wonder why she decided to keep it to herself right there and not tell Din, to, especially as, as how important that would be to him. And she saw how important this step was for him to be redeemed and, and to bathe in the waters of Mandalore and for her, for her not to reveal the biggest aspect of it that there is in fact a mythosaur i'm just finding very curious and just opens up a whole new avenue of bo katan's story arc during this season so it's just going to be very interesting to see how that plays out especially now that she is part of that mandalorian group and just how that's going to be a secret she's like is it a secret that she doesn't want it to like it's almost like an ace up her sleeve type of thing where she's only going to reveal it when it's going to benefit her and to her rule as Mandalore or as ruler of Mandalore, if that's kind of, if that's still what yeah. she wants right now. So I'm just fascinated to see how uh, now her story is going to play out over the course of this season. Well, I, I think that to me, 
they're definitely hinting at like the the signs are all pointing towards din and i think that's what it's they're, they're well obviously they're they're doing that the the show is but i think now like Bo-Katan is kind of in the middle of that or she's 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 almost like the audience like she's realizing oh sh uh din is like is is almost becoming like the chosen one for the mandalore and i think that there's too many like it's almost like there's too many coincidences and i think it's honestly like it's intentional to like show and and have Bo-Katan like be torn because she's starting to see it herself and doesn't want to admit it. I think, mm-hmm. especially when you put into the aspect that they destroy her castle, like all these things are telling her no, opposed to all of a sudden, all these things are telling Din yes. Does that make sense? So it yeah. feels like it feels like they're it's like it's like like the re, it's like her world's coming crashing down. And again, I, I know it's like on purpose, but I think it from a story standpoint and, and a narrative standpoint from Bo-Katan's perspective, she's starting to kind of realize at the end of this part when like, she's like, ah, you guys all suck. You're all weird cultists, weirdos, blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden, like, she's like, oh, okay. And everyone's like, oh, hey, you know? And I'm like, if anyone who's been at church knows the very end of that episode is like, yep, that's how it is. (laughs) You know, any Mm -hmm. religious thing, (laughs) I'm sorry. That's how it is. So it's, it's kind of weird. I told my wife, I'm like, oh, that's weird. That's too close to home. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you can see how I feel about some organized uh, churches. Anyway, um, but uh, but no, I, I definitely think that that, that Bo-Katan, and this, is a, this was an aspect I was not anticipating, and I'm really into. I, I got to say that this aspect of Bo- Bo-Katan is like, man, like she's starting to see like the cracks in herself and her own ideals. But yet also you can understand why she'd hold on to him. Be like, no, like I, I was, I ruled Mandalore and it all fell apart and she needs a dark saber. Oh, wait a minute. Like a myth, a mythosaur touched Din and like dragged him down. And like, he has a dark saber and he's part of this cult, like leader or his cult, like whatever. But like, he's so like, I don't know. Like it feels like they're all pulling towards him. It's kind of like Jon Snow, Tim, right? Like hmm. how, like, he yeah. was being pointed towards to be king and he didn't want to be king and he did, ultimately didn't be that. But, um, sorry, spoiler alert. Um, but, uh, like, the thing is, I wonder if that's going the same route when you have someone who wants to be king and it's like, uh, it, it's that struggle of, like, does that person need to be king or should they they want to be king and should they should they be king because they don't want to be king? I, it's that whole idea. I feel like they're going towards that route, but they're also bringing that aspect of, Bo-Katan being like struggling with her own ideals of like maybe this isn't the bad way and maybe this is like there is a, that the whole idea of like this is being the helmets and, and this is who we are is kind of like accepting the old ways is not necessarily necessarily a bad thing definitely hinting at like maybe marrying and bringing together um the ideals of both i uh the both old and the new that mm-hmm. they've all talked about so it's it's interesting like they they have brought a lot i mean besides the pershing stuff lots of interesting things in this where i think they could go and i think from a narrative standpoint it's really fascinating I, again like 
I love what they're doing. Um, I, I want to talk more about the pace in this episode later on when we talk about the Pershing things, but there are definitely some pacing things I want to talk about with this later on. But I, I mean, obviously book ending it at the beginning of the end is obvious and intentional. Um, but I mean, yeah, I, I definitely feel like it was, I love the beginning of this episode. Oh my God. Um, I mean, yeah. Anytime that you have the, the Mandalorians all put come together. It was great, but I will say this too. I was critical of the Mandalorian costumes and the lighting a little bit. I think of like how it didn't really resonate well with me the first time when episode one, seeing mm-hmm. them again this time, it was a little easier for me to accept. And I'm not sure it's because I've already se- accepted it and I thought it looked cheesy and kind of dumb. Some in some of the costumes now I just kind of more accepted it and it was, I was more okay with it to be honest. So I'm not sure if any of you guys had my, I don't, I don't, I know none of you had my, my, uh, my distaste for it. Maybe as, uh, that's a bad, a bad word, but you know, I wasn't as harsh on it as, as I was, but did you guys kind of pick up, it, it almost seemed better to you in, in, in this episode. Cause we saw it before. I don't know about better, but it's funny you said that. Cause when at the final moments of this episode where we see all the Mandalorians, I got, man, these, like these helmets and these costumes, these look really good. And like, I, I wonder if Paul's going to feel differently about it <laughs> in mm. this moment. And I'm glad you did. If I'm um, thinking that they did look better than they originally did. It might be the and lighting, honestly. It might it be like be. maybe they just weren't as bright as yeah, and standing out as much in the sunlight. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I did think of you was like, man, hopefully Paul thinks they look better. <laughs> in this moment. No, 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 I did. I don't That's have a so problem funny. Dude, that's so crazy you thought that. Because I was just sitting when they're all in the cave and they're all doing the church thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, he's actually a little bit bad. <laughs> so I mean, <laughs> like I so I, I definitely think the sun, the bright, maybe like especially that that weird orange one that's like it has mm-hmm. some weird off colors. But you know what? I think again, it's a little abrasive at first, but I think I I kind of like the idea of having these really kind of eccentric colors because it can. Like that's that's us in real life, right? We all like have like sometimes wear like uh, very flamboyant colors and things like that, and so people wear darker or super dark. You know, it's like yeah, that would that would make sense to mirror our reality because that's just human nature, right? So I think it's and there's no right or wrong to it. It's just sometimes like I just think from the from a costume standpoint, it didn't look always great in the light. But yeah, definitely in the cave, they definitely. I, I maybe I, I honestly honestly think I think I just got more used to it. And I definitely liked it a lot more this this time around. So I'm curious if I see it more, I'll be I'll accept it more. But yeah, I I, I definitely think they they looked a lot better this time. Yeah, I mean they honestly look pretty much the same to me both times. I feel like there were a couple of specific details on a couple of costumes that I thought were a little weird, but like it didn't bug me too much. I mean, obviously the main ones, you know, Din, Bogatan, the armorer, Paz Vizla, like they all look fantastic. And the rest of them, you know, in the background and stuff, like they look good enough that you buy it as Mandalorian. So, um, you know, I was fine with it. Um, but I did want to go back to, so, you know, at the, the beginning of the episode, we have the scene on Mandalore, then Din and Bo leave in um, her ship. They're headed back to Kalavala, and suddenly they get ambushed by a squad of TIE Interceptors. Um, and this is where we get that really cool uh, scene that, you know, we had seen teased in the trailers with, like, the Gauntlet Fighter, uh, you know, and the TIE Interceptors, you know, chasing through the canyon and stuff. Um, but it starts off in space, you know, Din's shooting at him from the tail gunner position. And then they get back to Kalavala and he's like, oh, I'll give you, you know, support from my ship. And just doesn't airdrop out of the fighter, you know, flies down with his jetpack to the landing pad, gets in the N1. He's got a cool sequence where he's going one-on-one with one of the TIE fighters. 
And then, um, you know, just a really cool aerial action sequence between the two of them and, and this Thai squadron. Um, you know, Bogotan gets the last one doing a cool, like, you know, cut the engines, flip the wings, do a, a fast 180, take him head on, and then re-engage the thrusters right before you hit the water. Like, that was just super cool. Um, and then, of course, it's one of those moments where it's like, oh, sweet, momentary victory. We got them all. And then they're like, oh, wait, there's something else on the scanners. And you see the Thai bombers bombing her castle. Um, and it's like, man, we have to watch Bogotan lose her home to the empire twice and then she goes after him to get revenge and it's like oh hang on there's more on the scanner oh because also when when the the squadron is first on their tail um you know she's like oh you know i mean it's probably one of these imperial warlords that i you know stole ships from or something and did like yeah they tend to get mad when you do that um and then uh but, you know, then at the end, it's like there's she's going after these TIE bombers and suddenly there's like a wall of TIE interceptors coming at her. And, uh, you know, it's like, oh, the, clearly this is more than just like a, a warlord with a grudge um, sending a squadron of fighters after you. Like this is a, you know, this is the Empire still having some military teeth left. Um, and of course, they turn tail and get out of there. Um but I thought, I mean, like I said, first of all, I just thought the, the action scene was fantastic. And second of all, I thought that was a really interesting reveal. And obviously we know that Moff Gideon is still out there. We know that Thrawn is out there. Um, but like, it's just interesting to continue sort of peeling back the layers of like how much of the Imperial Remnant really is still out there. How big of a threat are they actually? How many ships do they have, et cetera, et cetera. Um, obviously in season one, it was just Moff Gideon and a squad of stormtroopers season two, you know, we saw Moff Gideon's cruiser. We saw, uh, you know, the Imperial freighter that Bogotan stole. And you kind of get a sense of like, oh, there's maybe, you know, a few more Imperials out there than we realized. And now with this, it's like, where are all these guys coming from? Um, but I also saw, uh, somebody pointed out like on Twitter that sort of that tactic that they use where they have, you know, it's like the tie bombers do a hit and run, they get Bowen Din to chase them. And then they've got like a wall of tie interceptors coming after him as reinforcements was kind of similar to what Thrawn's forces did, um, against Hera and that X-Wing squadron in, um, in the final season of Rebels when, you know, they're trying to go and take back Lothal and, uh, Rebel Assault yeah yeah where you know it seems they're kind of pressing the attack it seems like they're gonna win That's and then right, suddenly yeah. it's like oh imperial reinforcements incoming and like they burst through the clouds and there's just a wall of tie fighters coming that like decimates them um so it's like, you know, having Dave Filoni involved like I'm sure that's not a coincidence I think the main question is is Thrawn already in play kind of controlling this stuff or are these, you know, is it really just like Moff Gideon and some other Imperial officers kind of getting things ready and we're not really going to see Thrawn return to take control of this movement until the Ahsoka series? Um, so I don't know which one it's going to end up being. Um, if we did end up seeing Thrawn in this season, that would be really freaking cool. But again, clearly, and you know just from having Ahsoka name drop him in last season, it's like, we know he's coming. We know that the empire is still going to be a threat, but watching the characters figure that out. And like I said, getting the, the bigger and bigger teases and reveals of like what that's actually going to look like is just been really cool to see. And I think that was, uh, it was a really kind of, um, I don't know, just effective and like intimidating show of force uh, to start off the episode. 
Yeah, I got some thoughts about the Empire or the remnants of the Empire and kind of what's at play here. I might say that for the end because it kind of ties into the end of the episode too. But um, but yeah, what an amazing opening. This is like an all-time opening sequence or just even like a Star Wars aerial battle sequence. I absolutely love this. I mean, I love the space battle and the apostate in the premiere episode, but this one, even though it's not technically a space battle, I I think it outdid it. I just an aerial combat <laughs> type oh, action yeah, sequence. Definitely. It was just awesome. Just seeing Bo Katan and Din in her fighter and him escaping, jumping out. That shot of him jumping out of her ship and just barely dropping down past the TIE fighters as they fly past them. That looked amazing. And then just him getting into the new Naboo Starfighter and just seeing that thing in action, man, it's been glorious <laughs> seeing the Naboo Starfighter like never before in this season. It's just such a great decision to give him that ship. <laughs> it's just awesome. I just love seeing him in that and seeing what it can do. So just on an action front, it's just an incredible Star Wars action sequence to see take place at the start of this episode. So yeah, and then once they finally clear out the interceptor, just thinking that's it, things are going to get quiet. And then the, seeing the TIE bombers just bomber castle. I mean, visually, it was awesome <laughs> to see TIE bombers do their job. But again, it just really sucks for Bo-Katan to uh, just her reaction said it all, just how much this is just, you know, devastating for her and just how she just wants to wipe out every fighter right there in that moment. And how can you, you know, how can you not blame her to feel that way to, like she said, losing her home again? Um, so yeah, just throw in that aspect to it and just for a great action sequence, but again, just shaping more into what I think Bo Katan's motives and just what her journey is going to be through the season now, having to lose her home here as well. So just everything about this opening sequence was just top notch. It was just really cool to unfold or see unfold as this episode was getting kicked off in the first few minutes here. Yeah, I, I think that um, you know this. These parts are, are great, and um, you know, I, again, I kind of like you, Tim. I kind of have some want to say some Empire thoughts and and some of that Thrawn speculation for when we get more to the, the Pershing stuff, um, but and some of the pacing things as well. But yeah, I, I think this just uh, I love these parts, and I it was funny because my my wife goes, "Why are like why are they still chasing this one stupid ship? Why don't they just let it go?" You know, and then I'm like, and then all of a sudden, all of them like show up. I'm like, oh, okay, that makes more sense now. Okay, you know, like he was doing it on purpose, and I was like, okay, that's that's it. it was it was like it, she said it out loud, and then when that happened, I was like, oh, okay, that makes a lot more sense. So, uh, so it was good to kind of they they kind of answer their own like our, our audience question pretty quickly, kind of a thing. So that was nice. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then again, just, you know, kind of jumping to the end of the episode, like they get away from the TIE fighters, they jump to hyperspace, they come out of hyperspace on, you know, approaching the planet where the armor and, you know, the rest of the, the children of the watch are hiding out. Um, and you know, they get there, they land, uh, Paz Vizsla comes out and confronts them and Din says, you know, I've been redeemed. I've been to the living waters. Uh, Bogatan stands up for him as a witness and he says, I've got proof. And so they bring him in to see the armor. And uh, again, they tell her the same thing. Din gives her his little vial of water that he took from the pool and she pours it into her, you know, her, her water thing that, you know, where she forges her stuff and it shimmers. It's probably got traces of Beskar in it or something. And she's like, yep, this is from the living waters. You're redeemed. You're one of us again. 
Um, and then she's like, oh, and because, you know, when Bogotan is vouching for him, she's like, oh, yeah, I, I jumped in. At, like, I saw him fall in the water and then I jumped in and pulled him out. Um, and so the armor is like, oh, so you've been in the living waters, too? Yep. Have you taken your helmet off since? Nope. All right, cool. You're redeemed, too. You're welcome to, you know, join our clan. And I did like that, you know, she said, um, she's like, you're uh you're free to leave whenever you like but until then you know you're welcome here as one of us and so it was really interesting and unexpected um and it's one of those things where like i definitely don't think it's going to be permanent but it's going to be interesting to see what sort of you know what this means for the story what this means for Pokatan as a character because on the one hand it's like you know she doesn't follow their ways and she even says that she's like you know i don't walk the way um but at the same time, it was kind of nice to see in an episode where, you know, even from the beginning of the season, we've seen her being solitary. She's just kind of sulking in her castle. She says that all the forces that she had gathered left her because she didn't have the Darksaber. Um, and now, you know, she's lost her home to the Empire again. And now she has this group that is accepting her and willing to take her in. And that's, you know, that's a nice touch um and and was kind of a nice moment to see her get that but at the same time it's like she's almost kind of being i wouldn't quite say forced into you know this cult that she doesn't want to be a part of because again you know the armor is like you're free to leave whenever you want although we'll see if she actually stands by that um because like you said paul certain cults and you know religious groups and stuff may say that but not mean it or you know they may say you're free to leave but try to strongly discourage you from leaving um, so again, it was, it was one of those things where it was kind of a nice beat to end the episode on, but it's like, I'm very interested to see what happens immediately after this and see, especially because Bogotan has her helmet on the whole time. It's like, okay, you know, we can't even see her, her facial expressions. Like, how is she feeling about this? Does she want this? Um, and I, I'm sure it's kind of conflicting. And part of it is like, I didn't ask for this part of it is like, Hey, it's nice to feel included in a group when I had nobody five minutes ago. Um, and part of it is like, Hey, maybe I don't agree with this or I don't have, uh, you know, I don't share the same ideals as this group. So I don't necessarily want to be a part of this thing. Um, but also, I mean, Paul, you mentioned something earlier that Tim and I talked a lot about on the last episode, which was this idea of Din and Bo-Katan kind of combining their, uh, their values of their different ways and their different Mandalorian factions and kind of finding a new way forward, um, that kind of combines the best elements of both. I think that their whole journey on Mandalore was kind of like a, a you know, a, like a story representation of that, um, where you have Din who thinks that the planet is cursed. He thinks it's poisoned. He thinks the Empire has completely destroyed it um, and is essentially believing, you know, these myths and legends and prophecies and stuff and gets there and realizes, no, like, it's just a planet. Like, it's an actual place with, buildings and rocks and monsters and like it's not cursed and there's not really anything like mythical or magical about it but at the same time Bo-Katan who's like hugely skeptical and doesn't believe all his ancient myths and legends and stuff you know first you know there's the scene where she's watching him wade into the water and and sort of swear the creed before he goes into the water and you can kind of tell that like she kind of is coming to more of an, an understanding or an appreciation of like, wow, this really is significant. Like this really means something to him. Um, but then of course she actually comes face to face with a real mythosaur. And so it's like, it, it sort of is like demystifying it for Din a little bit while also mystifying it for Bo-Katan to a certain extent. Um, 
And I think just kind of, you know, again, it's almost like a, a, a physical representation of um, just sort of bridging the gap between those two ideologies. And I think that's going to be key if the Empire does end up being a big threat that they're maybe going to have to unite these Mandalorian clans against. Um, that they're going to have to kind of like forge a new way forward that's not um, holding to, you know, one strict tradition or another, but, um, you know, kind of coming to a, a mutual understanding of both. Yeah, I mean, talking about the very last shot of this uh, of this episode where you see Bo-Katan just staring at um, this, the emblem of the mythosaur that they have on the wall there, and just she's staring at that, just wondering what's going on in her head there. As I was talking about earlier, is it like is she wondering, do I tell everyone here what I saw, or is like, or is she thinking kind of to herself, well? Oh, if you guys only knew what I saw, like I'm saving this like information for when I can really use it. But I'm just wondering if she's like, what's her mindset right there? Is she torn to tell him or not? Or if she's like glad that she has a secret that uh, they don't know about. So of course, obviously we can't see her facial expression underneath the helmet there, but they were definitely making a point to end on that note where her being the only one to know about the mythosaur is going to be, a really big deal going forward over the course of the season. And who knows, maybe longer in future seasons. We'll see. But yeah, this was definitely kind of a surprise to see where it was going. We kind of talked about too last time, Kyle, about what the meeting of Bo-Katan and the armor was going to be and how um, it probably wouldn't be the most friendly meeting <laughs> when they were to come face to face after how the armorer talked about Bo-Katan and the Book of Boba Fett, but that wasn't the case. And maybe it is kind of all a facade for right now that the armor is doing, and she really has this grudge and hatred towards Bo-Katan. But um, we'll see. She sent as genuine as she usually is to all the other Mandalorians she talks to, in particular Din Djarin, or even Paz Vizsla in certain instances. So we'll see. But I was hoping for when Din and Bo first uh, landed on the planet and Paz Vizsla comes to greet them before they walk in to see the armor. I was wondering if Paz Vizsla was going to make any mention of like knowing about Bo-Katan and her past and her ties to pre-Vizsla, um, if there was any connection there. But um, he mm. just referred to her as a night owl. We didn't really seem to know who she was or obviously who Bo-Katan was even by name. So um, I was kind of hoping for that, but we didn't get it. But maybe there'll be more references to pre-Vizsla. Now that Bo-Katan is part of this group, he might come up somehow in some conversations, maybe when she learns that Paz Vizsla um, is a relative of his, or, is, or at least part of the same house. Um, but yeah, definitely kind of cool to have it end on this note, unexpectedly too, like I said, we were wondering. Uh, we knew they were going to come meet, bo was going to meet the armorer, but I wasn't expecting it to go this well, and for her to be welcome as amongst this group of Mandalorians and be part of someone who was redeemed like Din was. So definitely an interesting way to go. And I'm just really curious to see, because I don't know, I, there's going to be a fallout. It just seems like either on Bo-Katan's end or the armorer's end, there's something's this friendly vibe that's going on here is not going to last very long. I foresee, but we'll see. I was surprised about this. So maybe it will be like a lasting friendship um, and just kind of a thing where you're talking about Kyle, maybe this is they're kind of forced to work together for, to overcome the greater evil and that will be part of kind of what truly brings mandalore back fully as one group um as which is something we talked about as far as being the end game um for even the series uh, about mandalore finally be, being restored as one again without any factions or any different ideals and different groups so we'll see if it gets to there 
at this point, or at least the groundwork might have been laid right here for us to get to that point. So yeah, it was definitely an interesting um, way to end the episode on that I didn't see coming, <laughs> just even as early as last week in the episode before. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like I talked about earlier too, that's that's definitely one of those endings where it's like, you know, an ending to this chapter of the story, but like there's definitely going to be more to this and it's definitely going to be interesting to see how this plays out over the course of the season. Like, will Bogotan ultimately be a, a friend or foe? I think it's still kind of a big question. She certainly seems to be a friend and ally to Din through these first couple episodes. And who knows, maybe she sees the Mythosaur as a way to like... Yeah, I think you maybe mentioned this earlier too. Maybe she's like, oh, that can supersede the Darksaber. Like, I don't need to fight Din and kill him and take the Darksaber. I can just come in riding a Mythosaur and like, I'll, I'll be able to rule that way. Um, or, you know, is she really just going to kind of go along with him and his group? Because she's got nothing left and, you know, they're her best option at this point. Or is she still going to be kind of out for herself and have her own designs? It's been interesting because like, I, even though they haven't really brought it up to this point, it's, except for like in the first episode, um she says you know all my guys left me because i didn't have the dark saber and she tells din like you want to lead them like you go out there wave that thing around and they'll follow you but she makes no mention or doesn't really seem to have any designs of like challenging him to try to get it back um but in all the interviews that i've seen for the season with like dave filoni and katie sackhoff and john favreau and anybody talking about bogotan they keep bringing up the fact that like Din, you know, like they're allies, but he has this thing that she wants that she feels like is rightfully hers to rule Mandalore and stuff. And so I'm like, I, I really don't think we've sort of resolved the end of that. Um, I think there's definitely going to be some kind of conflict between the two of them before the end of the season. Um, but that was all, you know, one interesting plot line that kind of began and ended this episode. And, uh, I think, you know, a lot of people certainly expected and some were disappointed that we didn't get that take up the whole episode. Um, but instead, we took a detour to Coruscant in the middle of all that and spent the majority of the episode with Dr. Pershing and uh, Moff Gideon's former uh, communications officer, who we learned her name is Aliyah Kane. Um and uh, honestly, I mean, it really, because there's so much to go through here, I'm just going to kind of briefly speed through this whole story point, And then we'll we'll just talk about, you know, we can give overall impressions, talk about, you know, where this is going, specific moments, all that kind of stuff. Um, but we see Dr. Pershing back on Coruscant. Uh, we find out, you know, we, we see the we see Coruscant now under the control of the New Republic and see how things are different from the Empire. Um, seemingly, everybody's happy and flourishing again. We see Dr. Pershing giving a speech at the Opera House, uh, the same one from episode three where Anakin and Palpatine watched the opera. Like, that was a cool touch right off the bat to begin this storyline. But, um, you know, we see him giving a speech about his cloning technology and how he had, you know, he regretted the mistakes that he made under the Empire and that his, his science and his research was used for evil means. But he's like, my intentions were good. And ultimately, I believe that this research could still do good things. Um and again, we find out he's part of this, this rehabilitation program where the New Republic is granting amnesty to former Imperials and basically kind of helping them become like productive members of society again. And through this storyline, uh, he befriends Aliyah Kane. She convinces him to uh, try to keep pursuing his research, even though we find out that cloning research is now banned under the New Republic. Um, 
but he really believes, I mean, he talks in the beginning about how like uh, the whole reason that he got into this in the first place was because his mother died from a heart failure that could have been prevented if they could have cloned a new heart for her. Um, and so he's always been interested in cloning and like the, the medical potential it could have to like grow new organs and, and, you know, grow, uh, or like make people immune to different, you know, diseases and things by like combining the best attributes of different strains of DNA and all this kind of stuff. So he really believes that he can do some good that even the, and again, Aliyah came convinces him, like, even though this is illegal, like our whole mandate and, you know, the, the whole point of this amnesty program is for us to be helping the Republic. So if you're, if you really believe that you continuing this research is going to be for the betterment of the new Republic, then you should do it. And uh, he's like, okay. And she tells him like, you know, she's like, what do you need? He's like, I need my old lab station. She's like, all right, cool. Let's sneak onto a star destroyer that they're decommissioning and steal it. And uh, they go on this, you know, little stealth infiltration mission Um sneak onto the Star Destroyer. He gets all his equipment that he needs, gathers it up. They're trying to escape. They get caught by New Republic security. Uh, and then uh, you find out that she sold him out and turned him in. And at first it looks like, oh, maybe she's working for the New Republic and she didn't trust him. And, uh, you know, she did all this to set him up and sort of prove that he was still working for the Empire and still wanted to do these illegal experiments and stuff. Um, but then it ends with, this, uh, you know, they've got him hooked up to this machine that he's like, oh, that's a mind flayer. And the scientist that he's with is like, no, this is a, you know, he's got another kind of name for it. But he's like, you know, it's just going to soothe you and erase traumatic memories. It's not going to wipe your whole mind. It's just going to be on a, a low setting. And it's a very calming, soothing experience and everything. And of course, Kane is there watching him. Uh, she gets, uh, you know, convinces the other, the other New Republic guy there with her to leave so that she's alone with him in the room and she cranks the thing all the way up so that he essentially is going to be mind wiped. And she's standing there looking maliciously. But the, the thing that I thought was a, a really cool way to sort of bookend this storyline at the beginning of it, you've got the, the two of them and a group of other like former Imperial people that are all sitting around just kind of chatting about like, they're like, what do you miss about the old days? Like not the, not the tyranny and the, the oppression, but like, you know, just the day-to-day -day stuff like from your, your old routine. And Dr. Pershing talks about like missing these, uh, these ration biscuits that they used to get in their ration packs um, or travel biscuits, he calls them. And uh, this is kind of when he first starts befriending Aliyah Kane as she then drops off a whole package of the, or a whole box of those biscuits on his doorstep. Um, and uh, at first he's kind of wary of her. And then the other thing that they did with her is, I don't know if you guys picked up on this, but um, you know, she talks about when she first starts trying to convince him to do his research and everything, she's like, uh, you know, the new Republic is trying their best, but like, they're still struggling in some areas and they're handcuffed by politics and all this stuff. But like, there's a group of people that are, uh, you know, have, have certain talents and skills that are trying to really do what's best for the new Republic. Like if you catch my drift, wink, wink. Um, and they're at this like outdoor carnival thing, basically at this park on Coruscant and the music in the background changes to like this upbeat carnival version of the resistance March from the sequels. And so you're like, at least she had me fooled. I was thinking, Oh, she's actually is reformed and she's with the resistance. And this is maybe going to lead to like Carson Tiva. And we'll start seeing some other like early resistance members in this show. And this is going to be like, 
you know, something that uh, I was getting the vibe that like this is something we definitely would have seen in Rangers of the New Republic if that show was still around. Um, but so I, I kind of thought that's where it was going with it. But then at the end, you know, you see obviously she turns him in. And then as she's standing there brainwashing him, she pulls out one of those Imperial biscuits and and takes a bite out of it. And you're like, oh, no, she was still with the Empire this whole time. She wanted to get his tech. Um, at least this was my read on it. it was I think, you know, even though she was like, oh, I'm selling you out to the New Republic or whatever. I think, A, she wants to obviously wants to mind wipe him um, so that they can't have access to his research. Um, and then I also think, you know, she she went with him to gather up all that stuff from his lab so that then she could take that back to Gideon or whoever she's working for and maybe have somebody in the Empire that still is working on that stuff. So um, I don't know. I thought it was a really cool twist. I thought it was, uh, you know, a really cool um, just kind of a nice building of a relationship between these two characters over the course of the episode only to pull the rug out from under you at the end while also getting a lot of great world building of like what things are really like especially especially on Coruscant and sort of the the center of the galaxy what it's like under uh the new republic time period um and see the ways that you know they're trying to change and do things better after the empire but they clearly still have faults and weaknesses and uh it's like oh you can you can see why they fell during the sequel trilogy and why they allowed the first order to rise um so yeah like great character stuff great world building great twist and it, i thought the two parallel storylines in this episode was a great kind of two-pronged attack of like proving that the empire, you know, sort of sort of the empire showing itself as still being very much a threat, because on the one hand, you have the the TIE fighters and the TIE bombers and the um, just the bigger numbers than Din and Bo were expecting and kind of showing like a show of military force and seeing that, oh, like these guys are still aggressive. They still have fighters like there's still a, a military force to be reckoned with. And at the same time, seeing their infiltration and sabotage and uh you know like spy tactics and stuff like that um and seeing those two things working in tandem i came away from this episode with sort of the biggest takeaway going oh the empire is uh still very much not gone yeah there's a it, it's really unfortunate because I, I didn't dislike this episode i was called out by my wife because towards the end i got my phone out a little bit and <laughs> you know and she's like see you're bored too i was like no 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 let's not, let's not go there yet you know and i i think that i want i want i need to say this right off the bat i think this i like where they went with this episode because i think you need episodes like this you because i think they're developing things like you said kyle because i think they're they're structurally setting things up for the other series you know, probably Ahsoka and, and other things, but also like, you know, deepening the history of, of Star Wars. And it's funny, I couldn't tell what, what was playing, but, or excuse me, I knew there was a theme they, they carnivalized in, in, in like in the background, but I couldn't figure out which one it was. I'm like, which one is this? And I went, now you say the rise of resistance. I'm like, of course. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and again, a really cool thing. I never read into it that she was going to be part of the resistance. I always thought she was up to no good. Um, but that being said, I don't know. This is where I would say, I don't know what the angle is, what she's doing. I think that's what kind of is the intriguing thing because we don't know exactly why she did that. And there is there a reason maybe she's just torturing him to be like, 
look what they did to you after they said they weren't going to. You know, that's what I think that she's trying to do because I think if we're if we're reading the tea to tea leaves here, this is going to lead to Palpatine and Snoke, right? Like that's what it feels mm-hmm. like they're going to yeah. do, which is really awesome, by the way. I know the, the sequel trilogy. Every time my brother and I, my older brother, get in the car, we always argue, and he's. He's as much as he is not a last Jedi person anymore. He doesn't, he thinks JJ Abrams is like equally the devil as Ryan Johnson. I'm like, well, I don't know about that. Oh, it's, it gets crazy. Those must be some real fun conversations. <laughs> and, and, and my brother and I are really tight, and I always hate that it gets into that conversation. But like, I just, you know, I, the one thing about I'm very curious if, you know, if Dave and, and John can really help flesh out that era. And really lead up and really make those payoffs in, believe it or not, what I'm going to say here, Kyle, The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker, if you can help pay those, and I would say Force Awakens, but Force Awakens feels like a more of a setup than anything. But like, the really payoff of those things that, they, that you get in The Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker, I think that you can really help to improve those things, just like what happened in the prequel trilogy. You know, the prequel trilogy is looked at a lot differently nowadays than it was when it, when Ridge of the Sith was, you know, first done in the first year. You know what I mean? Like, so I feel like they've done a good job of, of already kind of slowly building up that whole thing. And I do like the angle of we don't really know where she is and who she's working for. We all know she's got to be working for someone, you know, obviously. But is it Gideon or is it Thrawn? I, I never even considered the Thrawn aspect until someone kind of pitched that out there. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Um, you know, for me, I don't think so. I think it's got to be more tied to the Empire and, and, and the First Order because you got to start building up that narrative a little mm-hmm. bit more. And building up that idea of like this thing is gonna it, there's it's gotta be a legitimate threat and have it you know how kind of how Bad Batch is slowly migrating from the clones to like the stormtroopers. I think we have to start migrating from the first from the Empire to the First Order and have that visually kind of yes. pay off a little bit more, which would be cool. Again, a, a good a good like rhyming between the two series, right? So I think there's see, I don't know that we need to do that yet though, just because we're still like five-ish years after return of the jedi i don't think i don't think it's gonna get i don't think it's gonna get like bad batch but i think we're starting to see the seeds of that which i think is important you know um but at the same time i I definitely think that they're they're heavily going towards the whole palpatine thing which is cool because i think there's lots of rich palpatine storytelling um even the shadows of the sith uh book that came out was notwithstanding um you know there's even more you could you can write you know what I mean? In my opinion, with the whole Palpatine thing and really get ri- enriched with like the whole storyline of, you know, Palpatine and, and, and his resurrection and how, you know, his struggle to like maintain his like his his essence in that whole time frame. You know, I think the whole Pershing and the whole Grogu thing is kind of a, a unknown aspect. So it's really fascinating what they're kind of setting up. I say all that because I don't think it's bad. I do think you know, because I don't have much to really say. I think you said it honestly, pretty, you know, summed up pretty well. Um, there's not much to speculate on other than like what I think that, you know, what, where is the angle? And I think that's really fascinating. My only thing about this episode, and I think this is the problem is that I think the pacing is pretty bad, to be honest. I think that's the biggest problem this episode. I don't think the acting's bad. I don't think the writing's really bad. I think some of the, I, I think the, it looks great on Coruscant. I think all that looks good. I think the pacing and the editing is not the greatest. And I think that it kind of has shades of Obi-Wan's problems a little bit in this episode. And I'm not sure what that means, 
but I definitely feel like there's been, it's not a bad episode. It's just not a great episode. And I think it's because of that pacing. And I think if my opinion, if you would have somehow maybe figured something out to not have bookends with the Mandos at the, you know, first in the, in the end, but maybe have Bo-Katan loser castle in the middle somehow, like somehow you could make maybe like rework that a little bit more. I think people would be mm-hmm. more accepting of that. I think the fact that you had such a, a, a radical, like, yep, here's where it is. Boom. Oh my God. And like, Oh, now little, little me to like, okay, this is interesting. This is different. This is cool. Low me to, okay, let's get this over with. And kind of, that's what it kind of felt like. Cause I liked where we ended up at, but it just took a while to get there. And I, I know like maybe they saw Andor or they saw like, you know, like the early edits and they're like, oh, this is great. We got to do it. I don't know. I have no idea. All I know is that I don't, I think this was all necessary to set up. I think, um, I think the lore, I think the season of where it's going, how, what the Empire's role is going to be going forward. What I do think though is that they could have easily, in my opinion, somehow incorporated more of, the first part with in, in the middle of the show to kind of break it up a little bit and then have the ending be more of when she's biting off like the, the, the thing and have it end on that opposed to have it be a bookend. Cause I feel like you could have with, with cutting it down a little bit in the middle of, of Pershing, you don't have to have all those same things. You could, I think you could get a lot of that off without having all those like long winded conversations and have it still be impactful. Cause I think the ending is really powerful with that. I still like that a lot. I like the star destroyer stuff. Well, that was really cool. Um, and the whole, like going through the train, that was cool. I just think the middle part was just it dragged a little too long. And I think that's where people probably got a little, you know, more of a problem with it. But that being said, I, I still think it's good. I don't think it was bad. It just, it just, it, was, it just, it could have edited it and pasted it a little bit better, but you know, that's just my opinion, but you know, whatever. I, I like you said, Kyle, I don't think people are complaining as much about it right now because I think people are like, yeah, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't the greatest episode. It easily probably is the weakest Mandalorian episode ever, to be honest. I- I'm sorry, it's the weakest. But I it's also strongly disagree with that. Well, who would you? What would you put above this? Toro. Uh, oh uh, wait, you mean oh, below? Oh, this? I mean, what would yeah, be yeah, a yeah. worse episode? Yeah, Toro Calican. Oh, dude, I'd watch that every day over this. Same, yeah. Me? Are you kidding me? Him besides the gunslinger, I really enjoyed that episode. Now, and that yeah. was that's another episode where, like, when that first came out, a lot of people didn't like it. And I remember watching it being like, you know, I was like, did I watch the same episode as you guys? I thought that was great. It's just one that now going back and having rewatched it, like I enjoyed it the first time. It's definitely not one that I'm gonna go back and rewatch a bunch of times. And I think it is probably the that for me is probably the weakest episode of the series. It like He's not a great character. Also, I hate to say it because I like her now, but like Pelimoto in that first episode, I also thought was kind of annoying. She took a while to grow on me. Um, Fennec Shand was cool, but then just like kind of unceremoniously gets killed off and then obviously comes back and becomes more important later. But like that episode is just kind of all right. But also this for me, I mean, just because of how much stuff it's like, how much important stuff it sets up. Um yeah, I, I there's no way I could put this at the bottom of the heap. I will say because it's so stylistically different from a lot of the episodes, it's hard to compare to some of the other ones. Like I have no idea where I would place this in my ranking, um, but I know it wouldn't be at the bottom. Yeah, so for me, 
little side note <laughs> before watching the episode. I, I was planning to stay up to watch it at midnight this week. And literally at like a half hour before midnight, 1130, the power goes out at my house. I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Not now. <laughs> like maybe it'll come back on this half hour. It didn't come on till like eight o'clock the next day. So 8 p.m. the next day. So <laughs> definitely wasn't on for Mando. So I was like, you know what? I didn't want to stay up the extra few hours for nothing. So I'm I'm just going to watch it on my phone. And I'm not proud I did that to watch the first episode of The Mandalorian on my phone. But if there was going to be an episode to watch on your phone for the first time, it might as well be this one because <laughs> I am in agreement with Paul where this one is definitely my least favorite episode of the series. Um, the ending and the beginning aside, because those are awesome. And this, as we said, started off with a bang. But even when we got to Coruscant and we made the transition there, I was excited. I was like, awesome. We're back on Coruscant. We're at the Opera House, like you said. And probably my favorite part of this whole sequence of the episode was that very beginning where Pershing is giving his talk in that Opera House and talking about clone cloning and giving a great shout out to the Kaminoans and how their breakthrough is what allowed <laughs> this technology really uh, to spring forward and just be such a huge uh use of technology in the galaxy but what also really stood out to me was the progress he made and what his work did to where he mentioned how the Kaminoans they were just able to clone just like one single DNA from someone but with his research he's now able to take different DNA samples and put it into one strand which again obviously as you guys said already it's this is all leading towards Palpatine I mean getting they probably have Palpatine's obviously his DNA they're trying to get Grogu's and to combine that with his. So I just really love that, that reveal of how that was something that the Kaminoans weren't able to do. But now with his research and his breakthrough, that's something that he brought to the table. And he was kind of talking to someone about that as they were leaving the opera house. I want to hear more of that conversation before they got interrupted by those other, uh, I don't know if they're like politicians or just other members of the new Republic or just, theater goers <laughs> at that opera house but um, i wanted to hear more of his conversation about his technology so i loved all that but yeah see for me too i'm gonna say i do not hate this episode i don't think it's bad it's just it's my least favorite there are things i definitely don't like about it that i think are bad which i'll get to but overall i did like what they were trying to set up here and what some new things they introduced here i love getting this new insight it's how the New Republic is operating a little bit here with the amnesty program for um, ex-members of the Empire trying to restart their life and uh, trying to be part of uh, a contributing member of the New Galactic or the, the New Republic as a member of society there. But I did find it interesting. One thing that stood out to me about that whole amnesty program is how they're still the new Republic is using numbers to identify mm -hmm. these members of the amnesty program of like dehumanizing, like the Kaminoans and those in the empire now viewing the clones, only referring, referring to them as numbers. And I was surprised that that would be something the new Republic would do as far as referring to them only as numbers. And they were kind of courtesy, even when they were talking amongst themselves to refer to their numbers, which stood out to me as far as being, oh, that's not too different from something the empire might've done. And exactly. obviously at, at the very end with the whole, uh, that machine, the mind flare, them trying to make it like, oh no, we're not the empire. We're just, we're, we're not, we're going to have the very low setting, but it's like, why do you even still have the very high setting or even that mm -hmm. machine there in general? So it's like 
raises some very uh, raises your eyebrow to the new republic and some of the things that, the questionable things that they're still doing or hanging on to here and um one little detail too or like whether we're talking where he's at work and he's archiving all that information and talking about how about de deconstructing the imperial ships and how that person with the cart was talking about how we still have to go through all the aligned stuff we're decommissioning and how that was a mistake too to get rid of all uh, the ships and I'm sure weapons and stuff that the alliance had because um, I know that was a big part of the aftermath folks revealing how they were going to de demilitarize the the alliance and the, have a very very small army for the new republic and how that would end up costing them and causing the need for the resistance later on so all those little stuff in there I really liked and just how that was being introduced um, in this episode. But again, kind of to your point, Paul, to the pacing of it, I just felt it didn't need to be this long to where we were going to go. Cause uh, that's the thing I'll disagree with you on mostly Kyle, where I really felt it, this was predictable. Um, Elias turn and like right when she showed up, or even when you saw her walking up to the opera house to hear us talking, it, it reveals who it was. It's like, you just knew she was there. Uh, for her own agenda or was being sent there by someone because she's still part of the empire. Like I never believed for a second she was really reformed or being truly part of the amnesty program. But I did get, a, I thought the twist happened when there was revealed that, oh, maybe she actually is just working for the new Republic here and was kind of their plant uh, to weed out those who are still clinging to some of uh, their imperial ways or going against the Republic, new Republic regulations. Um, but no, at the end of the day, it was revealed that, yeah, she's, still with the empire so i didn't see that as a twist at all i just thought it was very predictable and it just like you guys said it was a, kind of a great ending point but it was a bumpy ride for me to get there because um even some of like i'm just gonna get to it right now one of the things that really irritated me was the humor <laughs> in this episode before i get to the main one even that thing i forget the exact word of it but like where they tried we now have know one of the days of the week in the star wars universe was a throng days or thongs days tongs days. Tongs days yeah that just felt really weird <laughs> hearing them both say that twice um but then we get to the point where he's gonna he's trying to convince them this was a setup and you got the mon calamari there and he issues the lines it was a trap and i was like oh boy and i don't like star wars being self-aware where it's making a joke of a joke that fans have of a moment from one of the movies and correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think this is ever really that type of humor has ever been done before in a star Wars movie or TV show. The only one that kind of comes close to me is we even said it in this episode where in solo Han tells Lando, I know actually after he says, I hate you. But to, to me that even that's not on the same level because it's the same character saying that same thing that just fits his personality and how he would say that in probably various situations. So even that I don't think is pretty comparable, but I just, I just gave an eye roll. I mean, it's up there with like general hugs and the EOP farting in Jar Jar's face. It's one of the worst attempts at humor and Star Wars. I'm sorry. I just did not like that. It just took me out of it immediately. And I know you Kyle and some others on Twitter were saying how they didn't even notice that or when they first nope. thought it was like, Man, I wish I was like you guys because that took me out of the moment right there. What no, because I was the first time I watched it, I was just watching Dr. Pershing. And again, he says he's like, No, wait, she set me up. This is a trap. And it's yeah, like see, that, a totally that's all innocent fine, thing to say because it makes it, sense. 
No, I know it it's the it's, I know it's the reaction of the Mon Calamari. Exactly. I'm just saying, like the first time I wasn't even looking at him, so I didn't even think anything of it. And I think then I saw like some memes about it on Twitter or something. And then um, I watched it again. For, I watched it like twice in one day. Um, and the second time I was like, oh, he does kind of look up when he says that. And I was like, oh, that's kind of funny. Like, wow. I think just because <laughs> because I didn't notice it the first time, it's one of those things that's subtle enough. Like if they drew more attention to it or if it was the Mon Calamari who said it's a trap or something like that, I think that would have crossed a line. But it's almost like a little Easter egg, you know, just kind of winking a nod in there, which is like, and does it need to be self-referential? No. And I can understand if that bugs you. But like, for me, the fact that I didn't even notice it for the first time and a lot of other people also didn't, I'm like, I don't think that's nearly as egregious as like, you know, the EOP farting in Jar Jar's face or, you know, some of these other things. Yeah, if, if they I'll take this. The- I'll take this over Dr. Evazon showing up on Jetta in Rogue One any day. Mm, so yeah, I'll be the opposite. That to me is that to me is being too self-referential of just like, oh hey, look, original trilogy references. It's like, yeah, 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 we get it. You've already got a movie full of like Tie Fighters and Stormtroopers. We don't need these guys. See, that's too coincidental. I don't think it's too self-referential, uh, but I don't know. If they did not cut to that Mon Calamari, I, it wouldn't have bothered me. But the fact that it immediately went to him and he had like this face, this look on his face, and it stood on that shot for like two seconds, he should have just winked at the camera while he was at it <laughs> it's like, this I, i'm gonna obvious. have to go watch it again because i still did not even like like i've i've seen memes of it and i'm like when did he look right at the camera i just remember him being kind of like behind dr pershing and just like looking up as he said yeah, he didn't look exactly at directly at the camera but it was like he he almost felt like he could have <laughs> like it was like almost yeah. setting that up type of thing or like he was in on the joke and he was gonna turn to the camera and give a week or something but it didn't go that far it was close so yeah, stuff like that took me out of it. I just felt kind of made this story or this part of the story of the episode a bumpy ride to get to where it was trying to go. Because like I said, it is setting up some big stuff that I think is going to be fascinating to see play out over the course. And not just the Mandalorian, the scene of the Mandalorian, but probably in the other series too. Um, and just bringing in more of that setup. As you were saying, Paul, I agree completely how it's time to start kind of bringing in more of the hints of the first order and the empire's transition to that, because that brings me to um, what I thought maybe who she really is working for, because immediately you think, Oh, she's still working for Gideon and she's either working on a way to get him out or uh, he, he, she's his plant um, in the new Republic and the amnesty program. But I think it might be even bigger than that actually, where what if this is kind of something where it is, where it's going to be that part of the empire that has went out into the unknown regions and they are sending out some, some people to be their eyes and ears and to set things up in the core uh, world, the the core regions of the galaxy and the new Republic and to get them some stuff that they need. So uh, what if she was even put with Gideon by those in, by the empire out in the unknown regions who eventually become the first order. And she's getting like, Dr. Pershing's uh, technology and equipment that they need to pursue his cloning uh, research. I mean, they have his research. They just need the equipment. And he and they put her in there to get that from him. And then maybe she's not even going to go straight to Gideon. She's going to go straight to um, those who sent her in uh, from the unknown regions. Maybe it's Ray Sloan who's like kind of setting this up. I would love to see her in live action and kind of kind of forget to make that transition to the force. 
first order or the empire from the first order to have her be a big part of that so i just think it might be something where it's gonna it might not just be gideon it probably is because we know he's gonna show up this season but um, part of me is kind of thinking and maybe even hoping for well this is kind of like our first lead into that aspect of the empire that no one knows is out there that are hidden in the unknown regions building up the first order and this is kind of something they need um, especially when it comes to the part of trying to clone uh, Palpatine and bring him back. So uh, again, this more fascinating stuff that um, it brought up again, not too surprised or shocked that she was still with the empire, but it did made me think of who is she actually, whose orders is she actually following right here? Gideon's Thrawn. Uh, I didn't necessarily think of Thrawn right away, but I like you guys, I've heard other people mention and I think that would make sense too. Or does it go deeper in those in the empire beyond in the unknown region? So uh, that's stuff I'm excited to learn about. But again, it was just a bumpy ride to get there. <laughs> it was too long. I also agree with what Paul was saying was how I think it might have flowed better if it was kind of cutting back and forth between uh, following Din and Bo-Katan and then going back to Dr. Persing, maybe having little connections here and there that can make the transition feel like it's flowing as one cohesive story in this episode, even though um, it is being told or two different stories are being told following different characters. There could have been maybe a way to have them uh, flow better for going back and forth instead of having the bookends and this one gigantic big middle part that just uh, went on a little too long, in my opinion. So, uh, yeah, those are some of the things that kept it back for me as far as really enjoying it. Because, like I said, when it first transitioned to Coruscant, I was really excited to be back there again and just seeing it um, in a new light. Because uh, kind of like even with Andor, and I've heard, I even thought this too, and I heard a lot of people talk about how this kind of felt like more of an Andor episode than the Mandalorian, mm-hmm. but how Andor, it was cool to see Coruscant under Imperial control, how we'd never seen it like that before. And now we're seeing Coruscant under the New Republic control with the Rebel Insignia logo on different buildings. So all that stuff was really cool to see. And I also did like too that little Easter egg, or it wasn't too much of a little Easter egg. It was right there. They even made mention of it. But seeing that um, that mountain part of Coruscant that was first mentioned mm-hmm. in the High Republic uh, novel, I believe it was Light of the Jedi. It was either Light of the Jedi or the second book? But well, I first it was read about in, it. I mean that that park with the mountain peak and everything that was in Clone Wars also, and it was also I guess it was first was originally it? in like an illustrated. Yeah, so it's in the episode uh, Duchess of Mandalore. I think Obi Wan meets Satine there when she comes to Coruscant, like in disguise or something. Was that the um, same spot? Really? Oh man, I was. It is because it's got like the four the four like cone shaped structures around it. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's definitely the same park, but also it was it it first came from like a Ralph McQuarrie illustration, um, and I think it came out back in the '90s. It was like a book he did called like the Illustrated Star Wars Universe or something like that. Um, and I think because George was like working on the prequels at the time, it was one of the first uh, you know the first publicly released um, like concept art images of Coruscant. I know exactly what you're talking about because I don't know for whatever reason really stood out to me for the first time as I was reading it in the light of the Jedi, the high Republic. And cause it did not ring a bell that I was in that Clone Wars episode. So man, I'm, I'm actually surprised by that. I'm kind of ashamed that I never noticed it before <laughs> reading it in the high Republic. Cause I thought it was a high Republic Easter egg when they went. There. Yeah. And see, I don't remember reading it in the high Republic and it's just, it's been a while since I've read light of the Jedi. So I may have caught on to that when I read that part, or maybe I just didn't realize that it was describing that same, that same part, but like just the visual of it. I mean, it was obviously different because it was so lit up and, you know, you had um, all the, you know, just like 
lights and fireworks and all that kind of stuff going on. Um, but, you know, once I recognized kind of the layout and, and the structures and then seeing the mountain peak, I was like, oh, yeah, we definitely saw this in Clone Wars. I'm, I'm going to have to go back to that episode and see it again <laughs> because now I feel dumb for not noticing it. But. Yeah. I also remember back in the day when uh, when that Clone Wars episode came out, seeing like the behind the scenes episode guide on StarWars.com and seeing that piece of concept art that it was referencing. Yeah. So, but regardless of where <laughs> I first heard about it or where we saw it first, it did look cool seeing it in live action though. Um, in that big space there because it is a cool backstory knowing that that is the one bit of the actual piece of Coruscant as a planet the natural part of it that's still there where the rest of it the city was just built over it so it is just a cool little idea and just it's a bit cool of information to have about Coruscant as a planet and to see it visually on there look really neat yeah definitely um yeah I don't know there there were some things that you said that I wanted to to kind of um refute on and i don't remember all of them but um yeah i mean i kind of hear what you guys are saying about the the pacing being a little weird and how you could have cut back and forth between the mando stuff a little bit more i think it would have been a little bit weird regardless because this stuff feels so separate from all the other um all the other story going on it's like there's not really a good way to like segue into it so i think regardless of how they edited it it might have felt a little bit weird um but i also think if you cut back and forth between this story and like other you know it's seeing in other areas the empire sort of being resurgent and and tie fighters chasing chasing din and bow and stuff it might have spoiled the surprise a little bit more i know you said you weren't really surprised by it anyways um for me, I think the thing that made it a really effective twist was that uh, the resistance um, sort of misdirect. Um, because See, I now did... that's something I didn't notice when I watched. I watched it twice and I still haven't heard it. I'm gonna have to keep more. Oh video yeah, out. you got to go listen to it. The music changes. It, it like it's an it's a distinct change because when they first show up at that park, it's just kind of like carnivaly music playing and i don't know if you noticed this but like the the tone of it specifically reminded me of something out of like a final fantasy game or like a nintendo game or something hmm. like it had that sort of like japanese video game kind of sound to the music I, when they first when they first walk into that park um but then as they're talking and she's talking about his research and talking about how like there's people that are doing things you know on the on the down low to help the the new republic like the music shifts and if you listen closely it's definitely the march of the resistance theme in there um and that for me was the moment when i was you know really bought into her character because i think from the beginning um and i'll give you know props to uh the actress katie o'brien who plays her like i thought she did a phenomenal job because um it, like yeah from the beginning i was like oh she seems a little sketchy but she also seems very you know like she's being very like genuine and friendly with him and like I like their like I like the relationship that they're building here and I don't know if I can believe it or not I don't know if I can trust her like I want to but there's also something sus about her and then when um when you know they had that conversation and the music was the key thing there that tipped me off it was like I was like oh that's why she's being kind of sus like she's not with the bad guys she's with the resistance okay cool and at this point again I'm thinking Carson Tiva's gonna show up I'm thinking we're gonna I'm already thinking ahead to like that scene from the trailer where he's talking to somebody saying like there's a bigger threat out there that you're not realizing and I'm thinking like what other big players from the resistance are we going to see in this that we don't know about yet? And heck, I was even thinking again, I'm thinking like 
Rangers of the New Republic? Like, is this stuff that we would have seen in this show? Um, but I was also thinking, like, you know, just um, I mean, if you if you guys haven't seen Katie O'Brien in uh, Ant Man and the Wasp, uh, Quantum Mania, or even if you just haven't seen her on social media or whatever, like she's jacked. Uh, and I was like, she would make a good replacement for Cara Dune. Like, not a recast, but just like, if she actually is a good guy, like, she could kind of fill in that role. And especially, you know, if she's working with the Resistance and the New Republic and stuff. So my mind was already going down this rabbit hole. I'm like, okay, I trust her at this point. She's one of the good guys. And then to find out that, no, she's, oh, wait, maybe she's just the New Republic who sold them out. Oh, wait, no, she's definitely with the Empire. Um, I thought that was a really cool, uh, cool twist and cool misdirect there. Yeah, I I didn't see that that misdirect was like not obvious to me. My in my in my opinion, I but yeah, I will to me, say I, a, I saw it coming a mile away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you know what? Here's the thing. I I think the I think it would have helped the pacing of the show, but whatever. The one thing I'm gonna say is I I that that music did remind me a little bit of like the Rebels Imperial March, where they kind of made it like more like dun, dun, lay, dun, lay. It, yeah. it, I was like. <laughs> It didn't sound like that, but it had that same, or it wasn't obviously that 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 song, but I definitely recognized it. Something in the background, and I was like, I can't place it. It was, mm-hmm. so, but it was very distinct and very carnival. But yeah, but I think this episode's not bad. It's not. It's not great. It's just, but but it's a means to an end that we needed, though. Too, we needed this episode. Yeah, so. yeah, definitely. And I mean, heck, we got more world building in this in this episode and more information on the new republic than we got in the entire sequel trilogy or really than we've gotten anywhere else so far aside that from maybe some of the books sad but very very true yeah like and so just seeing i mean like you said tim seeing i mean just seeing the lights of coruscant again and it was really cool seeing coruscant in andor too um and seeing it under imperial control but i think because it was under imperial control it's intentionally more gritty and more industrial and this was like seeing more of the uh, more of the wonder um, mm. and just the way that like the music would swell as you'd see Dr. Pershing looking out the window of the train and seeing the buildings lit up at night and everything like it was beautiful. And it was just cool to see some um, just like some breathtaking visuals on Coruscant again, but also seeing the flaws in the New Republic, seeing, like you said, the way that they still treat these, you know, they still call these uh, the people in the amnesty program by their number designations. Um the fact that, you know, you have um, Dr. Pershing, he's trying to do this research and do things to help the New Republic, and he's getting stonewalled by, you know, bureaucracy and politics and red tape. And even when he's at the Opera House and those guys come up to him that are like, oh, yeah, you know, New Republic Empire, whatever, like, we can't keep track. We just try to stay out of it. And, you know, it's like there will always be that rich elite ruling class that, like, is, you know, kind of able to stay above the fray and be unaffected by all these politics and war and shifting regimes and all this kind of stuff so like you're seeing a lot of the flaws and seeing how they're basically just like well we're not the empire and things are better so that's good enough when like clearly there's still issues that need to be fixed and i thought it was very telling like just as a piece of visual storytelling the fact that um they go to this carnival and she's like you know she's like let me take you out to explore coruscant and see the sites and really kind of get a taste of the new republic for the first time and the first thing that they see um in when they walk into that park is a guy doing a magic trick where he like pulls the bird out from under the cloth or whatever and i was like i you know it's a a subtle little thing but just you know the symbolism of that that like 
all this sort of beauty and splendor and everything is kind of an illusion um, and kind of hiding the flaws and the cracks that are eventually going to lead to the the downfall of the new Republic. Um, I thought was kind of like too, where it's like, they can use that to our advantage. You can have this during the Empire's rule, but now you can have all this fun and like carnivals and stuff to distract from the stuff that really isn't working. Exactly. Or trying to <laughs> work out to make better. Exactly. So that was just another thing that I loved in there. Um, Paul, I know you got to get going. So um, you have any last thoughts you want to add before you head out here? And then Tim and I will wrap this up. Yeah. Um, you know, I listen. This episode, I, I again, I, I echo exactly what I've said before. I just, I don't think it's a bad episode. This is not the great, greatest episode, but it's one we're going to look back and go, we needed that, you know? And I feel like it, it may even age better as, you know, the ep- other episodes and, and other series or whatever have, you know, go through. You know, they're, we see them all in, in backwards or whatever. You know what I'm saying? I can't think of it right now. I'm too hungry. Um, so, uh, so anyway, um, but yeah, let's, uh, yeah, I, I, I think this is, season has been fantastic still. I, I, yeah, I'm ready for, to keep going. And, uh, I'm just going to be very gently cause I'm very, very hungry and very delusional right now. I'm just going to say Godspeed rebels. See y'all later. All right. Go get ball. some of those Imperial biscuits. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. <good> call. Bye-bye. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I I loved all this stuff. Like I said, I get that you know the the pacing was kind of weird. It did go on kind of long. And if anything, the one thing that um, that I maybe wasn't a huge fan of was the whole train sequence um, with them like you know trying to evade the droids. And it was just kind of a straightforward like yeah. they're you know just walking from one train car to the next, and the droids are following them. But like you know, it wasn't a straight up action scene. Like it wasn't very fast paced. Nobody was really chasing each other, but also they weren't being very subtle. Like, it's not like they were trying to hide from the droids. The droids could clearly see them. They were just coming at them very slowly. Um, And so I was just kind of like, okay, where are they going with this? Like, that was one thing that felt like it kind of went on for a while and uh, felt like it was kind of supposed to be more tense than it really was. Um, so, you know, there were some little things like that that I felt like could have been executed better or that it maybe could have been shorter overall. But really, like, I think it added a lot of fantastic stuff. I thought there were a lot of great story beats, a lot of great, you know, performances and character moments. Um, and like, as I was watching it again, because it's so different from, you know, a, a lot of the other Mandalorian episodes that we've seen. And like you said, I think that Andor comparison is spot on. I think this definitely was... Um, you know, a, a more of an Andor style episode just with the the politics and the more um, sort of personal character moments and, um, you know, less action focus and stuff like that. Um, I wouldn't say it was like, it certainly wasn't as well executed as some of the best episodes of Andor, um, but just kind of had that feel to it. Um you know, certain, but like I, as I was watching it, and you know, because of just the different vibe of it, and because there were certain areas where, you know, like I said, the, the pacing was maybe a little weird or a little bit slow or whatever, I was just like, I'm like, this is different. I'm not sure if I like it or not. Like for the first half of the episode, I feel like I was just kind of like unsure. And I was like, let's see where they go with this. And I think the more the more they added to it, the more the story built, the more I was like, you know what? I think I do really like this. But I could already tell. I was like, not everybody's going to like this episode. And I was like, this is what they did. This is like what they did with Book of Boba Fett. 
having Mando come in and take over for an episode. This was like, uh, you know, again, Except it was, that was like, one of the best episodes of the series. <laughs> well, right, right. Um, but this was like having a Rangers of the New Republic episode thrown in in the middle of the Mandalorian. And like I said, because these characters, we've seen them in, uh, you know, with Dr. Pershing and Aliyah Kane, we've seen them in Mando before, but at the current moment, they really have no connection to Mando. He's nowhere near Coruscant. He doesn't even know probably that these guys are still out there or what they're up to or anything. So like there was no real easy way to sort of segue into this storyline. But at the same time, I think it was a very important one. Just A, for uh, giving us more insight into what the galaxy as a whole is um, is up to during this time period. And just, again, kind of fleshing out the time period around these stories. So that when we get Ahsoka and Skeleton Crew and any other series in this universe, we know, you know, we have a little bit better sense of like, hey, what's going on on Coruscant right now? What's What are the politics like? What is, you know, what are things like in the galactic core instead of just all these stories with people running around out on the outer rim with bounty hunters and stuff? Um, but also obviously it's doing a lot to establish, uh, the empire as a major threat, I think in this series and for the rest of this season. Um, so it's like, it's not connected to Mando right now, but like by the end of this season, I think this is going to be the start of something that absolutely does connect with the Mandalorian storyline and, and, you know, in a big way. Um, also with Aliyah Kane, I mean, my take on it right now, I think she absolutely is working for Moff Gideon. I know you were, you know, kind of speculating on, um, sort of where that might lead and, and who everybody's working for and stuff. I don't think, I mean, obviously Thrawn is coming, but even before him, I don't necessarily think that Gideon is like the end all be all big bad of the empire. Like he's definitely still could be working for somebody else like Ray Sloan or, um, you know, other, other Imperial remnants or whatever, or even, I mean, who knows if like the spirit of Palpatine is already somehow like pulling the strings and all this. Um, but like, or, you know, there also could be somebody out there who maybe Gideon isn't answering to, but just other Imperial moths and warlords that are like just as bad as Gideon. And again, maybe Thrawn is going to be the one to unite all those guys or something. But like, there's definitely more, I think there's more to it than just Gideon. Yeah. Um, but I think that's, I think she's going to be our direct link back to him, especially the fact that they name dropped him in this episode and not just the fact that she and Dr. Pershing had both served under him. But then when they mention him to the other guys in the amnesty program, they're like, oh, you worked for Moff Gideon. You didn't tell us about him. And then one guy is like, I heard that uh, he escaped, you know, on his way to prison or whatever. And then another guy's like, no, that's not true. They hooked him up to a mind flayer. And so just the fact that there's like different theories within the New Republic about what happened to Gideon and nobody's really sure. Um, it's like, well, now obviously we're going to find <clears throat> we're going to find that out. And I think having Elia Kane, who we had seen previously working under him, I think is our easiest, you know, direct link back to that. So, um, yeah, I think he, and I mean, we know he's going to be in this season just from having, you know, Giancarlo Esposito on the panel at uh, Celebration and all that stuff. So it'll be interesting to see if Gideon is like the Imperial big bad for this season, or if he is maybe just a bridge to Thrawn or some other big bad or, um you know, it'll be really, really cool to see just like how big this really all is, how deep it goes, uh, how many of them are still out there and, uh, you know, how big of a threat everybody is really up against. And then, you know, when it's time to face that threat, 
you know, how much of it is going to be the Mandalorians getting involved? How much of it is going to be the New Republic? How much of it is going to be Luke and Ahsoka and the Jedi? And, uh, you know, how much of it is going to be like, um, even like, you know, grief and like pirates and bounty hunters. And like, you know, it'll be really interesting to see what kind of big war this turns into and what all the factions are and stuff like that. Um, but again, this is sort of planting some of the first seeds for all that, for what I think is going to be, uh, you know, a, a really big, important, you know, some really big, important story threads later on, not just for Mando, but beyond. And especially if there still is going to be some kind of big crossover event between all these shows, which again, you would think would have to be the culmination of like Thrawn and the empire and all that. And their sort of big final battle, bringing in all these heroes from all these different shows to take part in that. So, um, I think this is kind of just giving you a taste of what these guys are capable of and what some of that stuff could look like. Yeah. Um, I agree with you on that front where it's like, yeah, this might not be my favorite episode of the series, but in the end, we're going to look back on it as an important one that set the stage up for what's to come. And I think the bigger scale threat of, the culmination of maybe what all these series is going to lead to. And just you know, like even leading up to the sequel trilogy too, right? There've been some recent interviews, I think even on uh, this week in Star Wars on the official Star Wars YouTube page where they had an interview with Dave Filoni and uh, John Favreau. It was quick, but Dave talking about how, you know, he has, he loves whiteboards in the offices where they get to map all this stuff out and just how they know, you know, where the show begins and where it ends that gap between return of the Jedi and the force awakens and even in other videos or interviews recently dave filoni is this kind of referencing where where everything begins and ends with what he does you know phantom menace up until rise of skywalker and all knowing what they have to um pull from or recognize and what they have to lead up to and set the stage up not necessarily set things up but knowing i guess what not to contradict or what they have stories what it needs to lead into um so i always just so confident especially with dave filoni involved knowing how he was just prepped for all this making the clone wars and where that took place in the timeline and what that had to lead up to and just how brilliantly and seamlessly um it did lead up into revenge of the sith and the fact that he's involved now with a much bigger time gap uh between uh movies it's um something that i know he's going to be up for the task and he's already kind of referencing yeah like he knows um where he has to go with this and the story that they're trying to tell here um in this timeline so um, it makes me confident that just not that I wasn't confident with uh, John and Dave already, but just knowing that uh, just hearing him say these again, it is what they have planned. I just cannot wait to see how it all unfolds and why you might look at this episode now, or at least for me anyway, um, probably not one I'm going to revisit uh, too much, but over the course of the different seasons and series we're going to get, it might be one to go back to later on down the line where it's like, yeah, this is where some of the biggest moments we got kind of started here and where the seeds were planted in this episode. So uh, we'll wait and see on when it gets to that point. But as of right now, yeah, it might not be my favorite, but I still like what they introduced here and just adding some new layers and some new insight into this era of the Star Wars timeline with the New Republic and kind of what the Empire is up to still here even though there's just a fraction of what they were but knowing what they will become eventually as the first order so definitely still some fascinating stuff to behold in this episode 
Yeah, definitely. And it's funny, like I said, as I was watching it for the first time, I could kind of tell. I was like, I bet you, like, even not having seen any reactions online before I watched it, I was like, I bet you not everybody loves this episode. Like, I can tell this is going to be some one that, you know, some people aren't a big fan yeah. of just because it's so different from the other ones. And I know like there was a big deal made about it ahead of time that it was like 56 minutes and everybody mm -hmm. was like, Oh man, the follow-up to Din and Bogatan on Mandalore and the Mythosaur and everything. Now we're going to get, you know, 56 minutes of Mandalorian stuff resolving all that. And instead it was probably about, you know, between the beginning and the end, maybe like 15 to 20 minutes max of Mando stuff. And then, max, you know, yeah. <laughs> most of the rest of that being uh, Dr. Pershing stuff. I think it was like eight or nine minutes at the beginning, the whole getting off Mandalore and the chase with the TIE fighters and all that. I don't know how long the ending part was. Um, but yeah, obviously that took up most of the episode. And even for me, like I said, as I was watching it, I was kind of unsure about it at first and uh, kind of had to make my mind up. And there were some things that I could, you know, nitpick about that I wasn't. Uh, you know, that I thought could have been better executed or whatever, for whatever reason, like the, um, and you know, the, the visuals and the way that they pulled off everything with the volume and everything I thought looked really good for the most part. There were a few areas where it was like, yeah. you could kind of tell that it was green screen or that it was the volume just because it was like huge areas that were so sparsely populated. Um, like the one that stood out to me was um, when he was walking down the stairs in the opera house as he was talking to those other people. That was see, one of them where I felt you could oh, tell it was on the volume there. See, the one for me was when he went to the housing with uh, like the amnesty housing and it's like okay. this huge complex and it's just the five of them sitting outside at a table and there's really like nothing else going on. And it's kind of obvious that it's like just the five of them sitting at a table like in the volume and the rest of this is on the screen around them. Um so little things like that. But again, I mean, even with stuff like that, I remind myself like this is Star Wars on a TV budget, like doing this many scenes on Coruscant and this scale and having it for the most part look pretty good. I mean, this is what George wanted to do with Star Wars Underworld 10 years ago, and now it's finally being realized. So, you know, even if the execution of everything isn't perfect, like, you know, I give him a little leeway for that, just that, you know, as long as it mostly works and it's enjoyable, like I'm fine with it. Weirdly enough, the... Probably the one thing that I won't say took me out of it, but I was just like, that was a little weird. It's like the glowing popsicle things that they're oh, eating. Yeah. <laughs> like those things looked fake. And that was one thing where I was like, okay, that was, that, that's a little, I get that you're trying to make weird Star Wars-y kind of food and, you know, stuff that we wouldn't normally have. But like that felt a bit unnecessary. Um, How long till we see those at Galaxy's Edge? <laughs> uh, probably about two weeks if I had to guess. Um, but as long as they uh, don't replace the Melu Run juice, then bring it on. <laughs> oh yeah, just put a glowing ice cube in the Melu Run juice and call it. A there day. you go. <laughs> um, but even that was, you know, it certainly wasn't something that like pulled me out of the episode. I think all the the major story beats and the world building and stuff, you know, far outweigh little technical things like that. So, um, yeah, not a perfect episode, not my favorite episode, but I'm certainly I would squarely put myself in the camp of people that love this one. So. Um, yeah, another thing for me too was because we obviously we knew Dr. Pershing was going to be showing up at some point in the season because he was featured in the trailers and I was excited for that obviously knowing his history with cloning and stuff and anytime you delve into more with uh, Star Wars and cloning I'm, I'm going to be there. <laughs> That's something I'm going to be really excited for. So the fact that we had this much or long of an episode dedicated to him and 
we didn't get too much of of an insight for the actual work and the stuff he was doing as far as being a cloning engineer. I and mean, we got that moment in the beginning, like I mentioned, which was great. But I just wish if we were going to get a whole episode dedicated to Dr. Fertzing, it would have dived into more of that, of him discussing his research and what he was doing, referencing um, stuff he was developing or working from that the Kataminoans developing or developed already and then he was improving on. Just more of an insight to the actual cloning process and his research that he was doing um, more so. I would have loved to see that and kind of bummed that we didn't when we got a whole episode dedicated to him. And while um, it was a, a part, a big part of uh, his story in this, it wasn't the main part of it that I wish was kind of explored more and just really diving into him as a clone engineer and just really what he was doing and the possibilities, as he was saying, of wanting to do it with the New Republic. That kind of might even have been a direction that would have been interesting to go with. Like the New Republic really wanted to use him um, for his experience and his knowledge of cloning um, uh, for what a different aspects, not maybe not necessarily human cloning, but cloning food and like other uh, organs or stuff like that. He mentioned to help his mother more of on a medical field side of things, but yet still incorporate the type of cloning he was working under or doing under the work of the empire. So I don't know. I just wanted to, have a dive more to that aspect of him as his character. Since we know in the first two seasons, that's all we knew knew him for was being a clone engineer and the one being in charge of working on Grogu and getting his blood. So um, just wish that was kind of explored more in a whole episode that was dedicated to Dr. Persing, um, knowing beforehand that he was going to be in the season. It got me excited thinking, oh, we're going to get uh, more uh, – story or more information on the cloning technology in the star Wars universe, which I love so much and wasn't necessarily the case in this one. Yeah. I mean, I did like that. We at least got a little bit more of an explanation of what he was doing. And I think at this point, a, you can kind of piece the, you know, put the pieces together that like, you know, we know this is leading towards Palpatine, but also we're seeing stuff in the bad batch with them, like trying to clone the Zillow beast and stuff like that too. Yeah. Um, but also I think we still could, I think we still could get some more of those answers. I mean, first of all, I mean, we know we have, we still have to get more information about Grogu and his backstory and how he escaped the Jedi temple and stuff. And I think there's also more information to be learned there about like, what did the empire really want to do with him? Um, and so maybe we'll get that, that, you know, more of that cloning insight, like more specifically as it relates to Grogu, um, but also, I I definitely don't think we've seen the last of Dr. Pershing, um, even though, like, he's getting his mind wiped. I have a theory about that. I think uh, now with the whole mind wipe thing, I want to see him get low-bodied. Hmm. And either, I mean, I think maybe the most effective thing would be somehow if uh, Elia Kane gets him back to, you know, somehow is like, oh, I'll take control of him and you know offers to like escort him to prison or take care of him or whatever and ends up bringing him back to the empire and so now they have him brainwashed and working for the empire and having him continue his experiments there yeah, yeah um, i like that idea <laughs> because otherwise i mean he's he's not really of of use to the new republic but the other thing that i was wondering is i was like well what's the point of just stealing his equipment and mind wiping him because then like you still need somebody that's going to carry on his experiments and i was thinking like well maybe just the fact that she watched him take everything from that lab that he needed because also i was like she could have snuck in there anytime herself clearly she's done it before that's where she got the biscuits from that's what she told him um 
But I was like, maybe just the fact that he packed up all the specific gear that he needed, maybe that was enough for her to be like, okay, now I can give this to somebody else and somebody else Mm -hmm. can continue on this work. But I also think, um, you know, if, if she's able to now have him like mind controlled essentially, um, and can find a way to sneak him back to the empire and now just force him to work for the empire and continue those experiments, you know, that obviously would be a, a tragic, um, outcome for him but a very sort of chilling and effective uh you know method and storyline for her and moff gideon and you know the empire so yeah because i was bummed obviously to see him go through that just as a character you hate to see someone who really wanted to do good to lose his lose all his memory and have his mind wiped but at the same time too just knowing that all that knowledge he has about cloning is going to be gone (laughs) and um it's it's everything that he knew is just not going to be there for anyone and for him to share or even expand upon his research and stuff that he developed, which is such a shame. But I do like that idea of your, what you're talking about of him kind of get the being like Lobot just being controlled and being brought maybe into the unknown regions to continue that research on where the Empire doesn't have to worry about him not following orders or escaping or doing anything like that. I, I personally took it where they just didn't want obviously him to rat out or say anything or just to have someone have that knowledge of cloning to where it could just be now that it's in the empire slash first order's hands they don't have to worry about the new republic getting any of that information seems like they didn't have to worry about that anyway because it was banned by the new republic Mm -hmm. but just the fact they had someone probably the most experienced and someone who had the most expertise in the field of cloning at the disposal of the new republic could have been they could have solved the threat and now that's gone with his mind being wiped and they don't have to worry about um him using his knowledge of cloning for the new republic in case i guess they ever wanted to use that knowledge and information but that's kind of why i took it at first how they don't have to worry about um him being a threat to the new order or the first order as far as them being the only ones with his cloning research and now his cloning equipment as well but that is interesting if they do decide to use them that way and still have them under their, under their control because, yeah, like you said, it would be a sad outcome for him to escape the clutches of the Empire that go right back in it and have no free will whatsoever. That would definitely be a sad end to Dr. Pershing. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. Like I said, I definitely don't think we've seen the last of him either way. Um if anything, I think, you know, we'll just get some kind of confirmation as to what happened to him. Like, did she turn that thing, she cranked that thing up so high that it killed him? Did it just mind wipe him? Did it, you know, is she able to mind control him somehow? Like, I, I think we'll get an answer one way or another. But yeah, maybe we'll still see him factor prominently into the story. But I think we definitely will with Elia Kane. The one other thing that I'll say that, you know, just kind of on a side note that I thought uh, was interesting is the fact that... Um, they're actually putting out like episode descriptions for these on Disney plus, like as they air, um, I think maybe helped with my enjoyment of the episode a little bit. You know, it's just like the one sentence, you know, description, like under the episode thumbnail. Um, but it's, you know, you're going into this one expecting like, Oh, it's just going to be the continuation of like Din and Bo on Mandalore and everything. But like, the description for this episode, it was like chapter 19. I don't think they put the episode title up right away. But the no, description said something about, you know, two former Imperials become allies on Coruscant or something like that. So I knew from the get go, I'm like, oh, at least, you know, at least part of this episode is taking place on Coruscant. 
Whereas I think if I didn't know that ahead of time, then that shift might have been a bit more jarring. And I would have been like, hey, when are we getting back to Mando? Um, but like they didn't do that for previous seasons, because at least for like the first day that the episode was up every episode, like it would just be the generic title, like, you know, chapter 12 or whatever. And then it's like every episode, it would just be like the adventures of the Mandalorian continue or like something super vague like that, that didn't tell you anything about what was actually happening in the episode. Um, so the fact that they're being a little bit more forthcoming so far this season, I think, uh, you know, at least for me helped a little bit with this episode, just sort of in setting expectations that going into it, I already knew that we'd be setting, spending a decent amount of time on Coruscant. Yeah. That's why I was kind of surprised that it started right where the minds of Mandalore ended. Because <laughs> if we were going to course, I was kind of preparing myself. Okay, we're might have to wait a little bit to go back to where we last saw Din and Bo-Katan there. But I am glad they started with it that way, but just wish it was kind of split more evenly <laughs> in telling those yeah. stories. But Oh, well, but I'm already hearing some things about next week's episode where we're talking about how this was supposed to be the longest one. Next week's supposed to be the shortest. But Oh, interesting. I, I do hear though it's one that's uh, either written by or co-written by Dave Filoni, so it might be oh, a short, okay. but maybe a very big one. <laughs> so, well, also next week's episode is, I believe, directed by Carl Weathers. Okay. Um, so, I mean, if last season is any indication to go by, which you know he directed an episode last season, and it was the only episode of that season that Grief Karga appeared in. So, I'm assuming that this is going to be the one where they go back to Navarro and fight the pirates. Um, but again, I really have nothing to go on for that other than the fact that Carl Weathers is directing it and Carl Weathers would be in that episode. So, um, we'll see if that actually happens, but it would make sense that now that Din is leading the Mandalorians or not leading them, but like back with them and as part of them, um, that, you know, maybe grief contacts him and is like, Hey, I need your help. We're getting attacked by pirates again. And he's like, all right, Mandos, let's go. And, you know, they all drop out of the drop ship and have this big epic battle um but yeah we'll see um yeah i hadn't seen anything yet about the the length for that but i know already like the season premiere was fairly short it was like 35 minutes or something so. yeah i think this was only like just 30 minutes or so oh wow and then you take account the recap and the end credits it might just be like 25 minutes yeah we'll see but also that could be without the recap and the end credits because I, I think so because this episode, I think, you know, people were saying was like 55 or 56 minutes. And I think it ended up being, you know, 58 or 59 total, including the credits and everything. Um, yeah. As far as, like, as far as just like what's listed on Disney Plus. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not too worried about that because, you know, they always they they find ways to make the story just as long as it needs yeah. to be. It's about um, the flow, not the runtime. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, they always still deliver the goods. I mean, heck, uh, the heiress from season two, I think might still be the shortest episode of the series. Because I think that one's only like 33 minutes. That's the one where Bogotan appears for the first time. And that's still one of my favorite episodes of the whole series. So Yeah, that had a um, great pace to it. So it did not feel yeah. like it was too short. Yeah, of course, you wanted I, to see more, but it didn't feel like it was too Well, short. yeah, for sure um so yeah i'm not too worried about that but we'll see um but yeah i think uh you know we've we've made all our good points on this one but before we wrap up here um what did the listeners have to say when you put out the questions on social media about it yep put the 
question about this on Twitter today because I was curious to see what the responses were going to be on this episode, <laughs> anticipating kind of uh, a mixed reaction to it. But um, yeah, and I noticed I didn't, I haven't looked at all the the answers yet. But I just from seeing the notifications on my phone going off, I noticed we got a decent amount of responses for this one. Because sometimes yeah. you'll be like, "Hey, we're recording a new episode tonight. Tell us what you thought about the new Mando," and people just like it. Um, and it's like, well, I guess everybody liked the episode, but uh, I saw a few people chiming in with some different thoughts on this one. So excited to hear what people had to say. Yeah. So first up is Berksba, who says, enjoyed it. Interested to see where it goes. The middle dragged a little. Loved beginning and the end. And love your show. Well, thank you, Berksba. Really appreciate that. And then Kid Kenobi says, an unexpected turn, but I loved it. Between Mando and the Bad Batch, I'm loving all the world building we are getting for these lesser known time periods. It's cool getting to see the early empire and the early new Republic unfold on screen at the same time, which I totally agree of kind of what Paul was alluding to earlier. It is kind of cool that we're getting the as aspects of these two different time periods and the transition that the galaxy is going through there at this time is really cool. And then Paul says, not Paul Herman, but Paul at Mr. Peace do on Twitter says Mando bits were amazing. Also, I'm all in for more detail on how a civilization moves from a dictatorship to democracy and the difficulties that come with that. And then Jacob's, Jacob Miller says, loved it. Mon Mutha sucks as chancellor of the New Republic. Bill <laughs> Organa would be rolling in his grave. <laughs> I can't say I disagree with you too much there, Jacob, because even in the one of the aftermath books is where she first became chancellor. And that's, that's I said, that's where she first kind of decided to uh, demilitarize the new Republic and get rid of like all the rebel alliances, ships and all that stuff, which, you know, probably wasn't the smartest move, but I also wondered too, just how long was she a uh, chancellor for? Like how long were her terms? Like, is she even still chancellor at this point in the time period? If it is like five or seven years after return of the Jedi, uh, I would probably think so, but. Um, it is interesting, but <laughs> I got a good laugh at that, Jacob. <laughs> and then Spencer says, probably in my top five in the chapters so far. Love seeing the New Republic is like in the aftermath for better or worse. Definitely don't agree with how they handle amnesty and can't wait to see what's in the cracks of that foundation as time goes on. And then Caleb says, the only issue for me was the length. Love the story beats, but every scene with Dr. Pershing seemed twice as long as it needed to be. I'll never be upset about more Cor Coruscant content, though. And then Jessica says, I get why they have an episode like that, but it was much more Andorian than Mandalorian. So, yeah, kind of some responses where some loved it more than others, but where also some felt it was a bit too long in the Dr. Pershing stuff. So, and you're kind of seeing this all over the place where even just on Twitter and social media in general, where I see a lot of people absolutely love this episode and some who actually really hate it and felt it was um, the worst of all the series. <laughs> so kind of going to the extremes on both, but then you also have some who enjoyed aspects of it, but felt that certain areas could be better. So uh, definitely one that's got people talking, that's for sure. <laughs> and not shy yeah. about sharing their opinions, which um, we're glad all of you shared yours with us um, in response to this episode. So thank you everybody for sharing your thoughts on the third episode of the Mandalorian season three. Yeah, definitely. Thank you to all you guys for chiming in with your thoughts. And like you said, it, it really is interesting to see sort of the wide variety of opinions on this one. But it's also nice because at least from what I've seen so far, it doesn't seem to have 
uh, sort of devolved into the realm of like being toxic or like really controversial yeah. or super heated or anything like that. I mean, it's not like, like some people love it. Some people hate it. Some people are in between, but it's not like the last Jedi where some people think it's an insult to humanity. Some people think it's the greatest thing God ever created. And you know, it's like, um, it's not quite to those two extremes or, you know, it's not like people are fighting over it or being super nasty. It's just like, Hey, it really worked for some people and really didn't for some others, but um, definitely an interesting episode, regardless, like we said, one that I think is going to be uh, integral to some of the storylines of this show and sort of the other connected shows and just this part of the universe in general going forward. But um, definitely an interesting one that's got people talking for sure. So um, thank you again to all of you guys for chiming in with your thoughts. We love hearing from you. And of course, you can follow us online on Twitter at Star Wars TSC. That's where we're, where we are primarily at. Uh, we're also on Facebook. Uh, you can also email us at Star Wars TSC at gmail.com. And you can check out our website at Star Wars TSC.com. Um, as well as thunderquack.com for all the other awesome podcasts in the Thunderquack Podcast Network, including Rebel Cells, where I'm talking about uh, Bad Batch every week, um, except not this week because I had a crazy work week. Um, but last episode of Bad Batch was fun, too, and, you know, looking forward to having some fun discussions over the last few episodes of that show. But, um, yeah, can't wait for next week's episode of Mando. Can't wait to uh, keep talking with you guys um, through all this awesome new content. So, um yeah, thanks again for tuning in. We will see you all next time, and may the Force be with you. See you next time, everybody.